Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Warren and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of Hoosier Hysterics Nation, this is the one. This is the one we've all been waiting for. This is the human being that made all this possible in the biggest way. Eric, who are we talking to today? We are talking to a legend. We are talking to an Indiana University basketball and and athletics in general legend. We are talking to a legend so great and grand that I felt like we needed to come up with nicknames for him. So I'm going to try them out in this intro. And then there's four of them. Do you think the audience will be able to guess who this is based on the nicknames? Well, they should all. Yes, I do. Okay. I think so. Uh, and then we'll get his response to these nicknames to see if any of them stick. And I preface all by saying they are all stupid. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. We are talking to the Julius Caesar of recruiting teasers. We are talking to the supreme leader of IUB ball readers. We are talking to the master Jedi of IU fans reading his site till they have red eye. And we are talking to the Vito Corleone of recruiting baloney. Please welcome Mike Pegram. Hey. <laughs> How are you? I've been you? blessed with a lot of nicknames in my life, more so than a normal person. Peaks is just the top of the iceberg. Yeah. Do, well, do, I mean, I, I got to say, those are probably the four worst nicknames you've ever yeah. heard. Am I right? <laughs> where, yeah, yeah. Where do you rank those? Are those pretty bad? No, I've had worse nicknames. Oh, that's believe good. Me. <laughs> so, Mike, before we get started. Why? Had... Why? Why? If it's Pegram, yeah. why is it Peaks? Why isn't it Pegs.com? Was that taken? Uh, I had a friend in high school, and I used to always say, it's Pegram, it's not Pegram. And he used to start going, oh, Pegs, or he'd say, Pegaro, Pegaro, Pegaro. And, and, it, and it got shortened to Pegs, uh, and that stuck through high school. And um, I resurrected it uh, when I was looking for a, a forum name 
way back in the 1990s, I'm afraid to say. But, uh, yeah, it's short and sweet. Um, nobody else had it. Um, five letters, just simple. So, so Pigaro, that's like an opera reference. So this is some highbrow yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I used to come from behind me at lunch. Pigaro, Pigaro, Pigaro. <laughs> <laughs> that, I love that. But I, I kind of like the idea of Pigaro.com. That would be an interesting uh, website. Yeah, I don't know how that's spelled. Right. Um, I see a P-E-E-G-A-R-I-O. Oh, P- that's P- too much. No, it's like Figaro, but with P. Figaro. P at the beginning. By the way, do you like it when we say, powered by pigs? That's how we lead off everything. That's fine. That's yeah. fine. That's okay, fine. Good, good, good. So, so we now we now have solved one big mystery, the, the origin, the origin story of pigs.com. Of the nickname Peaks. So, Mike, how long in between your high school friend calling you Peaks did did it lay dormant until you resurrected it for the site? Oh, that would be almost 20 years. So what did people call you in the interim? Mike? Did they just call you by your name? <laughs> I used to forget my goggles and practice all the time, and they would call me Coma uh, in high school. That's the one that was the worst. Wait, say it again. You and... broke up a little. What was that? <laughs> I was a swimmer, you know, I was swimming for IU. And I used to leave my goggles at practice all the time. And this stupid diver, um, I always had issues with divers, even though I dated one, um, would always joke with me, I'm coma because I leave my goggles at practice. And, I, you know, somebody would find them and they'd go find me. <laughs> and then and then uh, uh, my uh, I got, got, got Thelma at IU because some guy would, you know how we had the dorms at IU, you would have those message boards message pads that people will write message messages to you yeah uh, that stop by and, and he used to make up things about a girl coming by by the name of Thelma and, and and joke about it and somehow that turned into a nickname and that's what I had to live for for two years of college and then I got Gern Blanston which is a Steve Martin thing <laughs> what's the reference there for Steve Martin that was a <clears throat> character of if his you, yeah if you listen to some of Steve Martin's old tapes he used to joke about uh, his real name being Gern Blanston or something like that. Um, there'll be people that'll understand this. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a, I'd say that's better than Thelma. Yeah, and I, Coma. So I embraced. I embraced Gern, and that's what I lived with for for at least among the IU swimming and, and IU friend community for a long time until. Um, <clears throat> but then somebody had it. I, I can't remember. Or I just, for some reason, I, uh, I decided to go with Peaks when the Indy Star message boards came about, or the IIBF. I don't know if you guys go back that far. I remember those. Which, yeah, this, which succeeded the Indy Star message boards. I chose Peaks, um, and I never really thought about it as a URL, a website uh, name, but a couple older guys who had, uh, you know, who helped me with graphic designs and, and had their own businesses recommended just to go with peaks.com. And um, I took their advice. So did, let's go. Oh, sorry. Wait, I, I just got to ask did you ever think of calling the boards and then the site Thelma.com? No, no. <laughs> Coma.com? No, I, I think that I've never actually, I've, I've never actually told anybody about Thelma except for my. Uh, this is uh, I shouldn't actually bring that out publicly, but you, we got in nicknames, and I didn't feel right to leave leave all of them out. Oh yeah, no, we're very inclusive here. But you, you mentioned uh, any- coming to IU, and we want to get a bit of the origin story about how you and Indiana University became synonymous. So, how did you decide to attend Indiana University? Well, my both uh, I didn't grow up in Indiana, but my parents were from Southern Indiana, Gibson County, north of Evansville. <clears throat> 
And um, my grandfather actually went to IU, was in the Acacia House. I had an uncle that went to IU. My father and uncle, or his brother, went to Purdue, by the way. So I'm actually the son of a Purdue graduate. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That is rough. Wow. Kind of a bombshell just dropped here. Yeah. Between Thelma and that. Yeah. It's a joke between, uh, sometimes I joke with Matt Painter on this because he's actually from an IU family. Really? And and I tell him about once I, we were on a plane trip together to Vegas one year and sat next to each other. And we joked about uh, his his family being an IU family and my family being a Purdue family. And the fact that Gene Caney will not have a single red shirt, red item in his closet um other things like that but uh, i (laughs) i um had some family history with iu but i was a swimmer and that was the best program and i went down there um uh to a recruiting trip little 500 weekend Mm. um (laughs) which i thought was interesting this past week because um lester quinone is um you know postponed his trip from little 500 to to next week, which is, it's a big deal. I mean, if you, if you make, if you're an 18 year old and you go to, uh, Bloomington, Indiana, a little 500 weekend, uh, especially for, you know, for, for me, I was from central part of Michigan. That was a mind blowing experience. Um, cause it was like 70 degrees that day, uh, at the race. And, um, I had never seen that many beautiful women in my life. Yes. And it's just, I just, I, it, it, it just, it just blew me away. And that campus is so beautiful that um, it changed my life that, that afternoon. Did you grow up a Purdue fan because of coming from a Purdue family? No, I actually, I actually grew up a Michigan and Michigan State fan. Wow. I actually switched allegiances because I became so enamored with Magic Johnson. Got mm. it. And I saw Magic play in high school. I was like, i never seen anything like that before. And Magic is the... Uh, I guess the impetus uh, for me to follow recruiting because I saw something extremely special at 15, 16 years old that that played fully out into a superstar, and that I guess that led to my obsession with recruiting. Um, and then I then I went to IU and I had a Spanish SL one hundred and one uh, the same time Isaiah Thomas did, and so I would see Isaiah all the time and. Um, and again, seeing somebody before they become uh, super famous, you know, we're one of the top 50 basketball players of all time, just left, you know, I could never, it just changed me for, and I became obsessive with, with recruiting and that kind of led to the starting of the site and all that. Did you get to know Isaiah at all per, on a personal level? Uh, no, I didn't see him that often. Actually, had, we had class uh, following each other, so I'd see him all the time, but we didn't have class. We had the same class, and we took exams together, but... I did not see him enough to. What was to really it? Sit. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. But he was—he was a funny guy. Um, I can remember exams. Somebody she would run off a, a Spanish number that was really long, and he and he would joke in the middle of the final, you know, please repeat that or something like <laughs> that, and the whole class would break up. And and then I remember one time he we did the exam, and the very next day he was on with Brent Musburger on this, you know, NBA on CBS. Very next day. Wow. What was it? Do you remember your first time watching a game in Assembly Hall? Um, <clears throat> my, uh, my biggest, one of my biggest memories is, is actually, I don't know if it was sneaking in, but we used to 
go lift weights in in the in a room between assembly hall and in the field house there and i remember sneak kind of not really sneaking because what practice hadn't officially started but watching that isaiah thomas team that won the national title mm-hmm. um and watching those guys play pickup on assembly hall and, and isaiah was amazing um in pickup um and uh that was that was my first memory and then going to see Jackson Brown concert there before school. Oh, that was my second memory. <laughs> Assembly Hall. Uh, and then and then the, the Kentucky game my freshman year went to overtime, uh, 1980. That was a, an amazing game. I, people may not remember that game. But um, Landon Turner played really well off the bench that day and kind of a um, preview that he could really influence that team. And Indiana lost that game. Uh, but Kentucky had a roster full of um, – top five guys, Mel Turpin and Sam Bowie, Dirk Minifield. It just was an awesome roster. Um, and, and, but at the, end of the, at the end of the year, Indiana was the best team. So if you can put yourself back into your freshman year going to Indiana University, you are in the era here where Bobby Knight has established himself with the 75 and 76 teams as just a preeminent coach in the country, but relatively young still in his tenure at Indiana. Do you remember, it's hard for people like Ward and I who went to school in the in the 90s where Knight was already a legend. He was Indiana basketball. What yeah. was the aura surrounding Bobby Knight when you were there in that era? Because they did have a couple down years after the 76 team. What do you? Can you help us give us that perspective on what Coach Knight was at that time? Well... I mean, he won right off the bat. He won a title my freshman year. And so, and I kind of missed the 78, 79 and stuff. Actually, I was a Michigan fan back then. I was reading for Michigan against IU in the 76 title game. <sighs> dark but, times, uh, dark times. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I was, I was loyal to my state. Um, and then I remember we had a swimming meet at Michigan, and we lost in the last relay by, by a touchout. And it got the – the victors played at my expense, our, our team's expense, and I became as anti-Michigan as I poss- possibly could yes. in a matter of seconds. But um, I, um, I, you know, he 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 was very very orientating back then. Um, you know, I, I everyone though believed that he knew how to coach better than any other coach. It, it's it's harder to describe. Um, maybe you guys felt that there, but even back then it was. It was amazing um, what he would do. But as students, I can remember us really getting upset about some of his substitution patterns because he would sometimes send a message. He'd be willing to sacrifice moments of a game or or even a game in, in certain circumstances to make a point to a player. And that would, that would upset us, you know, play somebody uh, and sit somebody. But I learned to appreciate that over time. That, you know. that come tournament time, that's where the payoff was. Even if you lost a, a stretch of a game or a whole game, it was the long term he was looking at. Yeah, and in my freshman year, it was Landon Turner was, and, and it turned out to be the most best example of that. He actually sat for games, um, and um, by the end of the year, though, he was what a guy who probably would have gone in the top five in the NBA draft. Um, he was that good, uh, and. Um, and you're talking about a player who, who 
wasn't even seeing the court during the middle of the season going in the top five of the NBA draft. When you can you when can you say that? Right. You know, we we have not spent a lot of time talking about the eighty one championship team on this podcast. We've done a lot on the seventy six team and some on the eighty seven team and then a lot on the Cheney years and the the final four run in two thousand two. And of course tons of McCracken championship talk. Yeah, That's right. pretty much all we yeah. talk yeah. about. But what what uh what else can you tell us about that team uh that were your peers at the time at Indiana? What were those guys like? What was the what was the identity of that team? They were really smart. I mean I always um, I spent a lot of time around Kitchell and Whitman, Ted Kitchell and Randy Whitman, because they were both business majors and I was a business major. Those are really smart, smart guys. And um, Isaiah was really smart. Um, Ray Tolbert had a very uh, big influence. He was a very optimistic guy. He had a lot of energy on the court. Um, I, the, but the defense that that Ray and, and Landon played. I mean, they just totally shut down that North Carolina front line with Worthy and Perkins. Um, they, they just, you know, but, but, the, but what I always remember is that, is that team was just uh, not very good, like seven and five at, at, at the end of the year calendar year. And uh, I remember reading about the, how they lost to, gosh, I mean, they lost to like Pan American or somebody like that at the end of December. Mm-hmm. They just completely fell apart, and, and they just found themselves in the middle of the year. But the but the aura around that team, I, I guess, was because they had, had, had fallen off quite a bit. Nobody really expected that team to win the national title. Um, but you, each 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 week they got better and better and better, and then you began to like secretly think in your head, "My God, they could beat anybody." But nobody would say it. <laughs> you right, know? right. Uh, you get that way as a fan. And you're like, gosh, this team, you know, this might be a pretty good team. <laughs> we get and, that way uh, at some point every year, but usually it's over pretty quick as of late. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You think that um, after a game or two, um, but that that team uh, had a lot of a really good mix, really good balance roster. You had the pure point guard, you had the pure shooter, you had the athletic bigs. So, Mike, swimming season is the same season as basketball season. There's a lot of overlap, right? Yeah, I missed a lot of games. Yeah, I was um, going to say. So how – and I assume, obviously, you talked about being a fan of Magic Johnson and growing up, you know, Michigan and the Michigan State fan. How were you able, pre-internet and pre-every game being on television and pre-being able to record games, how were you able to stay in touch with what I assume was your, your fan passion of being a basketball fan? Um, well, every game was on WTTV, and um, I – Got to a lot of games. I actually got Doc Councilman's seats probably more than any other swimmer did. Nice. Um, and there was a right road 15 or so right behind the IU bench. And Doc knew that I was a big basketball fan. And, and so he'd some, you know, I'd always find him the day before a game and see if he's using the seats. But uh, I missed, I always regret missing the Maryland win. I don't know if you remember this game, but Maryland was had Bernard King and Buck Williams wow, and was, was a really highly thought of team and Indiana blitzed them 99 to 64 or something like that. Wow. And it, they just ran. And I always use that game as saying, well, if Bob Knight is, you know, people say he, his teams didn't, didn't play with a fast pace. Well, he would when it made sense and he had the right kind of players. And that Maryland game was always the one 
that I always bring up, but I did not, uh, I, I think I've seen it on tape since then, but I always regret not seeing that game. But I had a big swimming meet that day or some, some sort of competition. Well, how and I, there was a few things like that. Te- Go ahead. Tell us a little bit about, um, because the IU basketball team obviously gets the, the big headlines, but I think what's underappreciated historically is swimming and diving and, and soccer even too, to a large extent with their incredible success. What, what was the swimming and diving team? You were in the post Mark Spitz era, but how'd you guys do? What, what, you know, where, where was your, your place in the legacy of that great program? Well, my freshman year, we became the first team in 20 years to lose the big 10 title. Nice. I cannot tell you, <laughs> I cannot, I cannot tell you, how depressing that was or how um, impactful that was for the rest of my life um, to drop the baton of a program that had two decades worth of success. And uh, it was at Iowa brought in a lot of Australians and, and some foreign guys and, and, and kind of in the that our team, I think um, had some issues that we corrected quickly and um i was always proud that we bounced back we lost the next year actually but bounced back to win three in a row and i was a part of um you know a big 10 title team actually a couple title teams um and that that impacted me for the rest of life to be able to get the ball rolling again um was a really big deal but the swimming team was you know we recruited from all over we had brazilians californians uh you know guys from europe um, and, uh, you know, that, that, that was really cool. I mean, we would go train in Hawaii, we'd go train in Mexico and Puerto Rico. Um, so that was, that was, a, and we were very proud of the tradition and, uh, we would always have these team meetings. <laughs> Things wouldn't go well and I always was kind of impactful on team dynamics that I sometimes maybe apply today. I don't know, but, um, you know, there's a standard of excellence, um, there, and I felt and then during that time, you don't realize that that was really a, a heyday for IU sports, outside, you know, really in general, because the soccer team was really doing well. The the tr- track and field was actually doing very well. I think baseball was doing okay. And I'm forgetting somebody else that was really good in sports at that time. But it was a very, um, uh you know, they were winning a lot. A lot of programs were winning Big Ten titles back then. What, what was a football program like then, Mike? That was the, the Lee Corso era. Yeah, he was a different different personality. Um, Great on air personality. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. <laughs> Lee, Lee. I, I you know I actually met and talked to Lee one time when I when um, before he started at ESPN. I went to graduate school at the University of Florida. He came to speak to our MBA class. And and I told him I went to IU, and then we started talking a long time afterwards. But um, but he's just a great personality. But he was he was kind of a flashy uh, coach, and um, never had he was a little bit good, de- you know, good offense. And sometimes I'm not sure about the defense. But um, they had just beaten BYU, I think, the year before I arrived. But they had a rough. I think the stretch that I was there wasn't wasn't that great. But they, you know, they were decent. Um, and uh, they had some really good players, but I also was there for the. But he got, I think he got fired when I was there, and then Sam Weish brought, came in just before I left. What was your degree in at Indiana, and then what did you get your MBA in? 
Or your MBA was in business, um, obviously. Yeah, my I got my undergrad degree in business um, as a finance major, and before I went to Florida, I worked three years for National Bank of Detroit. Oh, okay, um, got it. In, back in Michigan, and then um, then I decided to go to grad school, and and uh, that brought a job to in to back to Indiana. Um, but I, you may, I don't know if you want to get there. Yet, no, we but do. That's, what, that's the well, I, I do want to just go back for a second to your swimming career. I'm just trying to get some perspective on it. How many people are on a swimming team? Uh, a little over 30, but there's um, back then I think we had 11 scholarships. Okay, um, and that's separate from the diving team, 30 just for swimming? No, I think some of them might go to diving too. Okay, that's um, everybody. Yeah, so they had a lot of spar- partial scholarships, and I was actually a walk-on, um, but half our, half our guys are almost walk-ons. So uh, Kind of invited walk-on is kind of sit- – Maybe is a way to call it. This may be an unfair question, but to try to give us some perspective on those of us who I know swimming because I swim, but I know nothing about the sport really, except for Michael Phelps and Mark Spitz. That's about where it yeah. is for me. Give us the basketball parallel for what Mike Pegram was on the swimming team. <laughs> Who, if you had to use a player of any Indiana team of the last <laughs> 20, 30 years, who would you, what role would you fill on that swim team? And, and mention your events that you swam in, please. Oh, I was a butterflyer. I was a decent freestyler, but not Big Ten level. Um, I guess I've always identified a little bit like the Zach McRoberts, Luke, Luke Jimenez guys who were walk-ons but actually played. As I worked on in didn't make the Big Ten team my first couple of years, but the last two years I was, or my, you know, my senior year I was on the Big Ten team that won it all. And all the scholarship guys that arrived with me did not make that team. And um, so that's, I was, but I was never, I was only, I was only fifth in my event. So it's not like I'm, you know, really good or anything. Um, but I was good enough to make the team as a walk-on and they only brought 16 guys. Wow. Uh, each year. And so that was, that's my, my, you know, the proudest accomplishment is actually having a big 10 ring and, um, making that team and, uh, from a walk on status, um, and a lot of guys, um, and this probably happens, you know, get girlfriends and kind of swimming with, you know, 11 practices a week plus weights is really, really difficult. And, um, that just getting through that is, um, my most proudest accomplishment and, and never fading away and uh, losing the motivation. Uh, but I was, I don't know, I guess I, you know, maybe a Zach Roberts uh, okay. situation when you, when you can, when you actually make the team and can play in, in critical minutes, I was that guy, but I was never um, a star. I wasn't, or, or that, but I, I was, I, one thing I always, my, I was like two, I was 24 one hundredths away from making the Olympic trials cut. That's one thing it always calls me. Wow. That <laughs> Not that is... I asked. That was Olympic trials, but that's... That's, that's something. You know, but... Uh, um, Do you wear your Big Ten never... ring? Do you wear the Big Ten ring? Um, no, I don't. Um, one time, I actually... It's funny. When I was at University of Florida grad school, I got my apartment broken into. And... Uh, it took a lot of things, including my VCR tapes of uh, the '87 teams tournament mm. games. They took out, took out my Big Ten championship ring and decided to leave it there. 
because they must have seen that it was either not valuable or or something was personal. So I still have that that ring, but actually I'm I'm not skinny enough to put it on. But um, this shows you though the difference between uh, people like me and I'll, I'll put Ward <laughs> in this group too, and and people like you and all like high end athletes. Like when we talk to AJ Moye or Jared or Calbert, and we talk about the great games that they had, these just singular moments, and they're like, or even Christian Watford, yeah, I don't watch it. He doesn't watch the shot that much. Like, are you, and you're talking about how you don't wear the ring. Are you guys out of your minds? Because I would wear your ring every day. Like, I would, I would wear it on a, if I was too, if the ring didn't fit, I'd put it on a, 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 a necklace, a big chain, like a <laughs> huge wrapper chain and wear it every day. I don't, it just shows, I think, a different mentality when you're in it and you're the athlete, you don't have to show it as much as I think fans would want to show it off. Yeah, sometimes you just feel like you're showing off as you wear that thing. Yeah, um, yeah, that's the point. I, Absolutely. I, I mean, it's, it's just, um. Sometimes you have something about your life that, that is, you know, means a lot to you personally, but you don't want to bring it up to somebody until you they know you really well. Sure, I don't know, you, you know how that is. You're, right. mo- so you're a modest man. In. We appreciate that. Now, now take <laughs> us take us to the inception. I want to know the inception of what brought us all together here today. When do you remember the moment of inspiration? Was it a conversation, a thought, a game that you said I need to start what is going to become? Peaks.com. Well, I think the first seed when was it was down in Florida for grad school, and I got cut off from all things uh, Big Ten basketball because um, couldn't listen to WoWo, which is the Sport Wayne station that would carry all the games for quite a long distance away. And so I would, you know, when I was in Michigan, I could catch the the WoWo games, and then the Raycom would, or whoever it was back then, would show the Big. You know, would show Indiana games often when I was in Michigan. Well, when I got totally cut off from both the radio and um, television, and then uh, I always remember though, also back then, and how how that was difficult for me to handle. And I also remember grabbing a Gator Bait magazine when I was down in Florida and reading all these detailed stories that they had on the football recruits and the basketball team, but mainly the football <laughs> recruits. And thinking, God, I would if I if I did this magazine for Indiana, it would be, it'd be it would really take off. Now, about a year or two after that, Inside Indiana started and it took off and did really well for a while. And uh, uh, just that, quick, that quick side of, note, know. quick side note on Inside Indiana. I'm sure a lot of viewer, or a lot of the listeners here can relate. My dad would get the Inside Indiana magazine, and I yeah. just I coveted it. When when it came, like the second he was done with it, I just wanted to pour through it. I loved that thing. Yeah, I think that that was a seed that kind of um, when the internet grew, uh, you know, came about in the late nineties. Really, uh, maybe around ninety five, ninety six. I w- or there was a guy who started kind of a little bit of an IU site. And then there was another guy, but they would only update it once a week. But um, they, I was like, God, this is great. And then, it, and then there was a lot of portals like, um, oh gosh, my Yahoo is still kind of a portal for news. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. the other site was really good portal, but I could see how one page bringing things together would be very popular. And um, I messed around with the message board. 
backwards on the star and things like that. But uh, I was still following recruiting. I still had my Bob Gibbons magazines and so forth. And oh, I I just immediately I did a website for my uh, throw throw pictures of my kids so my relatives in other states could see them, and then I helped uh, church do a website. So I knew how to do a website, which back then was a big deal. Um, because you know, nobody else, you know, people that might have the ability to, to present information to a wide group did not <laughs> throw things up there. You right. know, it was all, it was all like, what the heck is this? You know, um, but I figured that stuff out. It wasn't really that hard. But uh, what year is this, I, Mike? What year? This is around ninety, ninety-seven or ninety-eight. Ninety-eight is when I actually started the website. And when did February you, ninety-eight? When did you graduate from the MBA program in Florida? Uh nineteen. 1989, and, ju- and just to fill in the gaps, from there you then you moved to Indiana for a job? Yeah, I used to work for Arvin Industries, the world's largest muffler manufacturer. Wow. <laughs> and uh, they're headquartered, we're, we're headquartered in Columbus, Indiana, um, home of favorite, Cummins Engine. That, that's Eric's favorite Indiana town outside of Bloomington. I do love Columbus, Indiana. I love it. Yeah, we stayed, we stayed in Columbus because of the... Um, what a what a nice town it is. A lot of professionals here, even though a lot of them are Purdue grads. Wait, you, so um, you live in Columbus now? Yes. Aha. It's the architecture. You can't get away from it. Yeah, it is. It's only th- we live towards Bloomington, so it's about thirty-five miles away. So it's not too far away. But yeah, we like it here, and um, kind of ingrained in, in uh, friends and. and organizations and things like that as, as anybody does if they've been, <laughs> been in a place for 30 years but um but you have no at this point in your life back to like 96 97 here you have no background in journalism you've never do, I, I mean do you have anything in your background that leads you to think like i can cover indiana sports in a way that will be compelling to indiana fans was that ever part of the the mindset for you Journalism actually was because I wrote for my student. I used to have a column for my high school newspaper called Kegram's Predictions. And um, I remember uh, I actually got the basketball team mad at me because I predicted them to lose one time. <laughs> and, they, and they totally shunned me in the cafeteria. I always remember that. Um, it, they weren't that good, but you know, the fact that I went out in the student newspaper and predicted to lose was, was didn't go over too well. Well, um, and flash forward to now, if you predicted Indiana to lose, you'd have tens of thousands of Indiana fans just wanting to kill you. Yeah, uh, but I had it a little bit in my mind, and um, but I, I made a decision my freshman year, I guess based on income potential, to go business and uh, and not do journalism. It, it, ironically, my brother went to IU seven years later, swam for Indiana, and um, was a journalism major, wrote for the student newspaper, worked for the IU Sports Information Department, and uh, and now actually works with NASCAR. Um, but uh, he... Um, he did kind of follow my path, um, which we always joke about now. He's kind of more in the business side than the journalism. We kind of flipped uh, midway through our careers back to where the other one was. But yeah, I, I thought about it. But uh, but you know, when I, my job with Arvin was writing the strategic plan, often for the company, and to do, uh, I would meet with investment bankers and uh, 
lenders and, and so forth and traveled to New York and Chicago and, and, and put together stuff for the shareholder meetings, writing. So I did a fair amount of writing. Um, I did a lot of merger and acquisition work, so I would do a lot of, uh, you know, writing. Son. So I, I guess I had had some writing experience, but I, I never really thought about it covering IU until I started the website. Until what was your what was your first big scoop that really broke you onto the scene for IU fans being like, hey, we need to check out what's going on over here? <clears throat> um, probably wasn't before this, but the Jared Jeffries thing was is the one I, I always remember because I had a really good source with Jared, um, somebody I know to this day. And uh, I was able to guide people away from this internet belief that he was going to choose Duke. Um, and everyone thought he was going to pick Duke. And it was still very much a possibility, but uh, I got kind of a blow-by-bow inside and along the whole process that um, made me think maybe he wasn't going to choose Duke and at the end of the day. And uh, and that's exactly what happened. So backing up... And so I, I got... Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, so I made a lot of... A lot of I don't know if I made predictions, but I said, don't worry, don't worry. And so people, because <laughs> I was kind of like as big as Cody Zeller or as big as Romeo Langford sure. was. And now, so you, you, you kept going with Pegram's predictions. You just took it to Bloomington. Yeah, it, it's funny. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, you know, have you noticed that I'm the only one who actually does crystal ball predictions? Yes, I do know this. Even now. though they're very few and far between, I actually do go out there and <laughs> I like do. You put, you put, you put your neck on the line. Um, I, back to uh, the launch of Peeg. So you're in 97 is when the website gets launched? Uh, yeah, actually, February 98 when I, when, I, when I started the website, though people probably knew me from the message boards before then. So this is a totally independently owned and operated website by you. How, yes. How precarious was it? I mean, you are in... You are in the middle of the uh, dot-com boom. I mean, obviously, you are not directly related to these startups that are happening in Silicon Valley, but clearly the Internet is taking over the world at this time. What was uh, your success or lack thereof in those initial couple years? It took off really fast because I remember having a page counter on my front page, and I just was amazed the first day. Just watching it click, 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 click. I would got to go back every ten minutes and look at the numbering. Feel like, oh my god! Right. <laughs> you were getting those early endorphin I, clicks. People yeah. go to Instagram yeah. for now. Yeah, I, I, I was like, I had it was. It's funny because part of my brain said this would never, never be a possibility. But then there was another part of my brain said, you know, this might really work. <laughs> um, and that part of the brain we got fed by that page counter. Oh my god, that that was a. Um, you know, but uh, I think that, uh, yeah, I just started with uh, links. Basically, what the Hoosier Newsstand is, is what I did for, for the first few months. Um, and then I started to expand it into c- recruiting coverage within maybe three months after starting it. So you, and that was all you at the time, right? There was nobody else working on the site or did you have other people with you? No, I was, I was by myself for a while. Um, and was was that a side but, gig, and you still had another job? Yeah, okay. I, I didn't quit until the beginning of two thousand. My my Arvin job. 
the muff, which was like the muffler money. Pretty was, good job, but thank God for mufflers. <laughs> the golden handcuffs of mufflers are tough to walk away from. Yeah, and it, and it was uh, I kind of they were they got bought by Rock by Meritor, which was used to be Rockwell Automotive. I don't know if you guys follow that that, that stuff. No, but Ward Ward company. is obsessed with the muffler business. I have a separate podcast <laughs> for mufflers. Uh, but yeah, you know, I'm here in the Midwest in the auto parts. So yeah, sure. Business is big here, and but anyway, I I did I did overlap for almost two years. Did was it something? I'm curious. Like, was it something that you did as almost an alter ego? Because, like you said, you resurrected the name Pigs. So at that time, it wasn't like everybody at work was calling you Pigs. Did you keep it uh, private and like try to separate your life, or were you proud of it and wanted everybody to know about it? Oh, I was definitely undercover. <laughs> I was, I was, co- I was covert at my job all the way. Um, and then when I told him I was leaving to start a website, it blew everybody's mind. Yeah. I, uh, in fact, I used to work for the CFO directly for the CFO, and he, he just could not believe when I told him this, um, and nobody really understood because I used to work in a corp. We had a corporate office, and you know we were. You know, it was a big enough business to have, you know, do business in a hundred different countries and in a multi-billion dollar company that was just, you know, at one point was Fortune 500. So they they had their own corporate office and there was like 40 of us in there. And um, the day I told them I was leaving to start a website, that just blew everybody's mind in that building. (laughs) And it was funny. I never told anybody because I was always afraid it would cause me trouble at, at that job. So, so I never told anybody what I was doing, and nobody ever found out. So in, um, in, in those years where you were moonlighting, I mean, would you, beyond linking to other articles, when, did you start to, to reach out and do any interviews? Did you, did you go out and start looking at high school players? Uh, how much did you put yourself out there until you went all in? Um, yeah, I think I'd, uh, the spring of 1998, which was just three months after – Starting the website, I went to the Run and Slam event, which was actually back then was held in, at, on the Purdue campus. It's still a very big event. It'll be it's been in Fort Wayne at the Space Fieldhouse for the last twenty years or more. But um, it uh, I went there um, and just started. Uh, I don't know if I shot video. I don't know if video back. I I, I just wrote about players and took pictures. I don't know if I interviewed players, but it's funny. The first time I was there, I remember the first time I went in, it was, I saw Carlos Boozer playing at uh, on Mackey Arena. That's my first game. I could not believe that a guy from Alaska came all the way over for uh, an AU tournament. Hmm. Um, and he was playing on a California-based team. And then I always remember that from that first tournament, I'm watching Jared Jeffries and Zach Randolph play against each other as sophomore, just coming off their sophomore years. And um, on a and um, that kind of like this is great. This, these guys are great, you know, and, and these, this is real talent. And um, I actually wrote scouting reports on the from the weekend, and those got really popular. And um, so that that started, and then back from the Nike camp was at IUPUI in Indianapolis, and so I would always go there, and. Um, there was a period where I was afraid to do interviews because as an IU grad, 
um, I qualified as a booster unless my profession was, uh, you know, from from the from the website from from a from a business that is uh, journalism related. So I did wait a while before I at least wait at least a year before I interview people. I I got the okay to I think they interview people when Inside Indiana hired me to do some columns for them. So I'm really curious, Mike, it's one thing to just show up to these recruiting events and just do scouting reports on anybody who looks good. But at some point, you have to focus yourself on the people that are real targets for Indiana University, which means developing sources and connections within the program. How did you do that? And how did you convince people this like this upstart internet site that no one at this point has really heard of? How did you how did you get into that? Well, uh, I guess first off, you get to know the, the the club team coaches really well. You know, back then it was Bloomington Red and Spice Program, and the guys that ran um, SYF players up in the north. Uh, west part of the state you get to know those coaches and they can be great resources and then when you go to those events you get to meet the parents and um and uh, some of the people around the players but also when you run a message board and you run a website people view you as the centerpiece of information and then they email you what they hear or who they talk to and uh so that that's that's how things kind of started but i think um People did view me as somebody who they could trust with information, and, and uh, wouldn't take taking things, things take things the wrong way, or um, so that that helped a lot. Um, so, and there were some people at IU also that knew that I had been through there as an athlete, and, and or people that I knew when I was an athlete that worked in the administration. Now, that helped quite a bit. Were, were there any assistant coaches on that team when you started in the late 90s that you became close with? Um, actually, Coach Davis, um, I was, you know, would have, was helpful. I don't want to say exactly what, but, but yeah. um, um, he was helpful. Um, we had a couple common friends, uh, and uh, who else? Staff. I used to talk to Trelor, but in fact, I talked to Trelor last year. What about Ellenberger? <laughs> he was around, but I don't think he was re- the guy recruiting. Um, back then, it was just mainly was just Mike Davis doing the recruiting right. at the very first, very first part of it. But then when Mike built his staff, I got to know some of his assistants pretty well. Did you have any interaction with Coach Knight as? As pigs uh, not really, not really. We did have a, a really long phone call one time, um, and uh, it's funny. He, he, uh, it was really related to that rally that was held. Uh, if you don't, yeah, that was kind of in support of him after he took a lot, a lot of publicity. Um, and that rally actually, you know, I didn't realize going into that would bring a lot of um, publicity, but um, uh, the, the uh, phone call. Uh, boy, he was so. He, he would. Um, he wanted me to sell a T-shirt that had the uh, roll of toilet paper on it that said uh, "Indianapolis Star." On it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, and then I I was at that time Tim Knight would sometimes come see me, 
And I remember telling Tim that, oh, no, don't worry about that. And I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, Coach and I did like the fact that I was, um, you know, a Doc Councilman guy because he was, he always looked up to Doc Councilman. He was one of the few guys that could tell Coach to, you know, jump in the lake. Who was Doc? Without, could you tell us about Doc? Doc was a, a head swimming coach in Indiana. Mark, Mark, Spitz, Mark Spitz's coach. Got it. And the thing with Doc is um, he went to Ohio State before he went to Indiana. And uh, I think it was from – and he, has, he had a similar path to, to Bob Knight um, in that he would, went to Ohio State, then he went to IU, and then won national titles. He's also an Olympic, uh, Olympic coach for USA and all that. Uh, okay. So you talked about the Jared Jeffries recruitment being kind of a uh, – Watershed. A, yeah, watershed moment for you and a little bit of a tipping point. So he commits to Indiana, and then not long after, in the grand scheme of things, a few months, Coach Knight is fired and creates, I mean, just the biggest media spotlight really ever on Indiana University when all of that was going down. How much did that help the, the you know, young evolution of Peaks? Quite a bit, because we were really – the only game in town right then, um, especially as it comes to message boards, people being able to voice their opinions, pro or con, or you know, or for or against what was done. And so our message board, and also Coach Knight broke some stuff through us. Um, he actually released a statement one time through us. Wow. Um, because he didn't trust any of the media at that time. So we we became a um, uh, kind of a place where everybody went for information and to and to voice opinion too. So that was a, kind of a double whammy that really uh, pushed us to new heights. And was it was it quite uh, heated between different factions on there going back and forth, or was it very pro night and and anti? I would, I was definitely pro night. Um, you learn with message boards that people want to take the, the pro side most of the time. Otherwise, the things dive into uh, negativity to, that drives everybody away. Um, now, there's a certain point with wins and losses where that kind of – you break. But yeah, um, Maybe like if you lose 12 out of 13 games. <laughs> yeah, where things break. Uh, even then, 12 out of 13 with a second-year coach doesn't qualify. 12 out of 13 with a six-year coach, things break as they did. At some point, I think with higher coaches, but um, uh, yeah, most people want to be. I think also we had a lot of fans that were fans because of Coach Knight, necessarily because they even went to Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a lot of. We had a lot of basketball aficionados, people that just became fans of Indiana because they loved what they saw on the court and how the game was played, and um, so we had we had a, more of those people than a typical. A mix of uh, IU supporters. So there was a lot of um, very pro night to through the whole process, um, really to you know and beyond. Did you stay in touch with Coach Davis through the transition of him getting the head coaching job, and then through his six years at Indiana? Um, yeah, yeah, we, um, yeah. We always had a pretty good relationship. Um, we had a couple rough patches, um, as you do when you're um, a journalist. Maybe you think something 
is okay to be written and they don't think it's okay to be written. Uh, Can you give us an example of that? Uh, oh, one time I I wrote about, there was a game, I think it was a Charlotte game where they lost on a buzzer beater from long distance away or something about, it was something he, he thought about um, reviewing it or the way that the buzz, the light went on the, on the, on the, the light on the, on the shot clock or the in the end of game clock. I can't even remember the details, but I guess I wasn't supposed to mention some of that on, and I mentioned it in the locker room, uh, inside the locker room posts I do every Friday. And he got mad about that one time. And, but usually that, ha- you know, that happens. Everybody has those stories as a journalist where, um, something gets miscom- miscommunicated. Now, when um, you say he got mad, does he call you directly and say what the hell? Uh, usually he gets mad at the SID and the SID tells you how mad he is. Got it. Got it. <laughs> so you have this, I think you have this very unique for the last, you know, 20 years now inside view um, and also a very all encompassing view of different opinions, especially from the inside. Um, and when it got into what, well, let's, let's just, I, I kind of feel like we should go through sort of the highlights and lowlights you know, moving from the Davis era through that of of, you know, what's what's something Indiana fans didn't understand about that championship run? What What's something, you know, or understand about why we got to that championship game with Mike Davis that is underreported or never reported? Well, one thing I will say this, we, I've had this argument with people about whether if Knight had stayed, whether they would have taken that team all the way like they did. Um, and I say you don't know because you just, you know. Uh, but but I do say this, that I do think having a, a slightly more relaxed atmosphere was a big deal for that team. Um, you know, where uh, Dane Fife's not looking over his shoulder all the time on a, a, a jumper that may have not gone in. I do feel like there's a little bit of that going on with that team. Um, but uh, there's a lot of guys that came really close to leaving and didn't leave. But uh, that team, um, that team was a, the best team I've ever had to interview. Boy, those guys were great quotes. As you, probably, you guys are learning now. No yeah. kidding. <laughs> Talk to a Tom Coverdale or AJ Moy is the best, but um, Dane Five or even Jared. Those guys were I mean, Jared is funny. Yeah, funny. Yeah. So funny those and smart and quote, charismatic. Quote machines. And I don't know if this is me, but I haven't run into that very often since then. And I, I think there's a correlation between that and success on the court. Guys who are able to communicate really well or be, be great to talk to seem to do better. Um, and you saw that a little bit with that Cody Zeller, Victor Oladipo totally, team. Totally. Um, um, I also think it says something. I'd love your opinion too. Beyond just the ability to communicate, which is obviously a transferable skill from the real world to a basketball court, yeah. but also personality. I mean, there is something to having personality that helps build a team identity, and that team, that 2002 team, is filled with personality. That Victor Oladipo, Will Sheehy, Cody Zeller, Jordy Hulls, you know, they're filled with personality. And not to, I don't, I don't want to jump ahead here, but I think that some of what has been lacking in recent years for Indiana is 
you know, especially the most recent, is what is the personality of the team? And and it's been hard to pin down, whereas those teams, it was very easy to see. Yeah, I think a lot of players are very cautious what they have to say, especially in basketball. I mean, you go from interviewing basketball players, and you, like I just went to the NCAA swimming, and I, and, I, and I go to baseball games at IU, and it's a completely different interview, a completely different openness from the athlete. Uh, I think uh, because the spotlight on IU basketball, they do kind of shield their guys a little bit more than they should. But I also think it goes back to the recruiting, who kind of personalities are you recruiting. But yes. um, I do feel like a lot of the teams like I go through, a pre- say we can do a preseason, a media day. At the end of the day, when you talk to all those guys, you kind of got a feel for what kind of, a, a pre- whether this is really going to be a team that, that is smart and, and, uh, and open about issues with each other and, or not. Right or everybody's got their own agendas or, or or so forth, and I have felt that way with a lot of recent IU teams that I don't know if these guys really like each other or are so worried about getting their own that they they don't do what's best for the team. So now let's go to Mike Davis getting fired and the end of that. Your your website at this point is about ten years old. Uh, this is a big deal because you know Davis is from the chain of Bobby Knight at least, but clearly an opposite type of personality and coach. And now it's really the first genuine coaching search for Indiana University in 30 years. And what, as a, as both a fan, which you were, you know, at some point because of your time at Indiana, but also as a businessman now running a site. Are you like kind of licking your chops at this point because you know that this kind of uncertainty in this coaching search is just going to cause great publicity and traffic for you? Uh, and are you worried about the choice that they're going to make because the wrong one could hurt your business? I'm curious as to how much of what happens on the Indiana program do you think about in terms of how is this going to affect peaks? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, that coaching search was the biggest boost to the website we've ever had. Mm. Um it was that much um, of a big deal because it was really the first true search in, uh, I guess, f- almost you know forty some years, or thirty yeah thirty some years. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was crazy times. We back then it wasn't a really boilerplate about how to go about coaching search coverage, and but we did we did profiles almost every day on every potential guy we thought was out there. And and who were the top guys? Who, yeah. Who who could who would it have been if it wasn't him? Who? Um, well, I think that the job was offered to Mark Few, maybe Tony Bennett, I believe, were two guys. I think that there were reports of possibly you know it's yours if you want it. And of course, eighties will never say that they offered the job, but they'll go through intermediaries to say, well, if, if offered, would you take? You know, so they can say. They didn't offer it, but um, those two guys come to mind. Um, I think they might have made a run at Beeline. I'm not sure. Oh, well, Rabbi told us that Beeline, the the run that was made at Beeline, and I thought this was the run at Tony Bennett too, is when Samson was fired. For, yeah, when Crean. Got yeah, I might be getting mixed up. Yeah. Um, when when Samson was hired, were you shocked? What what was your <laughs> what was your take when that news came across? Well, I have an interesting note on that I had a guy telling me it was going to be Samson and he was um, but he was sending me emails anonymously 
And so I, he didn't, and he later told me he didn't want me to know who he was and he didn't want the story to have any traction. He was your deep But he knew throat. what was going on. Yeah. But when somebody's anonymous, totally anonymous and they can't really say anything to make, um, it just, it's, it's a frustrating part of journalism. Somebody wants you to know, but, um, doesn't want to give you any kind of true support for that they might be right. But, uh, he was telling me this. We ran a, a, a coaching profile on Samson and it didn't go over very well. Hmm. People were very, um, he's had a lot of issues with um, academics of his players and, and off court issues. And of course, back then there was a little bit of an NCA issue with his calls uh, already at Oklahoma. And that reaction, um, I think, convinced me not to put him high up on the board. So I put him down at the bottom of it. And then at the last one, I actually took him off. And then I was like, gosh, I don't know. This guy seems, seems so confident. This email on me. But the reaction was so negative. Um, but it was interesting when he was hired, there was a group mentality that everybody would be positive. So people, when we did the profile on him, were very anti-Samson. The message boards for the first year or two were very pro-Samson, even though they're when he was considered a, uh, just a candidate, it was he, he was hugely divisive. Um, but I, you know, you saw the press conference when he was hired. There was a lot of journalism really hitting him on some of those past issues. Um, so that that was kind of a crazy in that regard because I, I didn't think Indiana would, given their history, would go some for somebody that was controversial. And so I did not take him as seriously as I probably should have, um, but. Again, I'm going with what I thought my university people would be approaching the situation like, you know. Did you build a relationship with Coach Sampson? Um, Coach Sampson was unusual in that he actually had assigned one of the coaches to me. I'm not going to, I don't know if I can go beyond this, but he's like that one guy on his step was the main contact. So that, that was kind of weird. For all of but media also, or just you? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was kind of an unofficial thing, but, uh, and so, if, you know, it was kind of like, well, the web stuff, that'll, that'll go through this guy. Um, and, um, so, I mean, I talked to him in, in, in recruiting events, but, um, it wasn't really a, um, I guess he was a little bit more old school, um, maybe dealing with bigger journalists, if he does deal with, um, somebody, so just to take a, just to take a step away from Samson because I do want to get back to that and the Eric Gordon commitment change because clearly that was a giant moment in the program's history over the last fifteen years or so. But I'm curious on as as your site has continued to grow, at what point or did it ever happen where now traditional media that covered Indiana and had kind of a stranglehold on covering Indiana, the Indianapolis Star, the Herald Times. Did you become an enemy to those guys? Did they did they feel threatened by you? And what was that like for you? Uh, there was a little bit of um, I don't know. Nobody ever said anything to me, but there was a little bit of like, why you know, when I got credentials because I was the first guy to ever get credentials from a online only uh, job perspective. You know, I wasn't writing for. Newspaper. I did write a little bit for the Mag Inside Indiana magazine, but not very often because I didn't want to. It wasn't wasn't very smart for me to spend time doing that anyway. Right. But it did help me 
get in the door with um, a credential. Um, and back then it was important to make, make practices. Back then practices were open, at least a couple of them per week. And um, so that was a big deal. And this is um, at what point you're, you're getting these credentials he, and getting in there? Mike, Mike Davis era. Okay. Yeah, and it was, oh gosh, I don't even, I want to say this is a, this is right after the dot-com collapse, because I actually, then I had to partner with Inside Indiana and join a network, because advertising was my revenue generator, but overnight it kind of stopped being that. Right. Because, um, because the ad rates just, just plummeted, but um, the, uh, yeah, the, the, the access was was actually pretty well handled. I mean, the guys back then were, were actually pretty good to deal with, and uh, it wasn't really that bad. Um, there, you know, people, there are probably some people that didn't think that, that I should be there, um, but uh, they knew how popular the site was, so I don't think they, they Did, were was there Was there ever a point they, like, all sat at one table for lunch and didn't invite you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, not... Not really. Um, no, I, I, I actually don't really think it was that bad. I, I know it has been that way for some other schools. So, Mike, um, I'm curious. You're now credentialed. You're in the press room. Again, this is not something you have a ton of experience with, asking coaches questions after, you know, in, in the best of times, it's a great place to be the press room. But in the worst of times, it is a tough place to be a press room. And asking the right question to the coach in the right way that gets you an answer but doesn't piss him off is a delicate balance that that is that the best of journalists struggle with. Was there a moment early on, whether it was with Coach Davis or then with Coach Sampson, where you kind of stepped over the line and asked something that maybe you shouldn't have or got got your head bitten off for it and it kind of taught you a lesson? <laughs> well, I guess one reason uh... – I got. I was. I was. I treaded lightly for a while because of my situation being the first web, you know, based journalist there. Um, and for a while there, I actually I had credentials where I would go to a lot of things, but I didn't actually go to all some of the games because the Inside Indiana guys handled it for a couple of years. But um, slowly over time, that changed um, to where I would be there for every game. Um, no, I mean, I, I think when you cover recruiting um is a big part of your of your uh business you have to be a little bit more carefuler than a newspaper about um, because you you need help um to filter out what you should really focus on and so you, you tend to be a little bit safer with your questions but uh you know i i think when the team starts losing though you start you know you do ask a little tougher questions right um, I had a lot of issues with Tom Crean over the years. I really oh. didn't have any issues with um, Samson um, at all, really. But he wasn't there that long. Mike Davis, um, maybe more about what I would write, nothing that I right. said in a press conference. So, uh, I don't remember anything from a press conference from Mike. Um, but uh, I I did have some issues with Coach Crean. Oh, we're going to uh, get into those. Let's hold those back for a second. <laughs> Let's get into the Gordon recruitment. Yeah. You know, because you making it sort of your stock and trade to follow recruiting, which I don't know, but I would imagine that was something that especially like the Indy Star 
and other folks weren't as focused on. So now you've got the new coach who's brought all this attention, and now you've got the superstar in-state recruit committed to Illinois. Can you take us through your perspective of how Samson got Gordon and the reaction to that around the program? Wow, that was the most craziest one. Um, because I would actually see some of the communication that happened between his dad and the staff while he was still committed. <laughs> how, how did you see that? And, um, oh, just don't, I don't want to get into that. But I, <laughs> I, 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 um, it, it was like they were uncommitted but committed at the same time. Is, and that was a way to um, limit the other schools from trying to jump in because it was only going to be two schools. But that was a strategy um, embarked on to keep things manageable. When you say it was only going to be two schools, Illinois and Indiana, or was there another school? No, those those, those two. Okay, got it. Um, it was a weird one because he committed to Illinois before the Samson staff came about, and Samson had a really good relationship with his uh, – I don't know if he had a high relationship with his father, but he with, with – uh, his high school coach, and then and then of course he hired Jeff Meyer, who which was which who was the coach of Eric's father in college, and uh, so it was. Um, yeah, that had, that yeah. really that that move really helped us with Ed Schilling and Keon. That's a full, yeah. foolproof move yeah, there. Yeah, you know, yeah that that doesn't always work, right? Uh, as we found out this year, uh, but. Um, that was bringing a level of comfort, but there was a little, also a little bit of wanting to keep an Indiana kid in Indiana. Indiana, uh, kind of a third thing going on there. But um, yeah, that was that was weird because um, he was committed for a long time when he wasn't really committed. And I can remember, I can remember this going to the Nike camp and uh, and sitting behind Bruce Weber. And he'll he, he him rambling off about that about Mike Pegram and that damn website with their bubble. Don't believe that. You know? Yes, <laughs> that's awesome. And of course, Bruce is is a little bit more of a whiner than your typical coach, and so that was that was the ultimate situation to whine about. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will never forget. Um... A couple things. One, I, I was glued to Peegs during that, and I remember. I'm, I don't know if you broke the news. You surely broke it to me that Eric Gordon was going to be at Hoosier Hysteria that night. And yeah. he had not committed the news. He had not committed at least publicly at that moment. And I just remember this feeling of elation that came over me reading that on peaks like, oh, my God, I am reading like this unbelievable breaking news. This kid is going to come to Indiana and I'm getting it from peaks. I felt like I had this window into a world that I was desperate for any information on. And that was such a huge story because of, you know, because of how everything went with Davis. And it was this downward trajectory since 2002. It felt like that was the moment of, oh, wow, all the divisiveness about Samson doesn't matter. He's getting Eric Gordon. We're going to be back. That's what it felt like to me. I don't know if the, if you felt that from the fan base on the message boards, but that's what it felt like. Yeah, I always thought for, well, thought for a while at that point it was going to happen, but um, yeah, when, when he when he when he shows up there, he's basically telling Illinois that I'm no longer afraid of being you know of what of this being public. 
Uh, and that, you know, from that point forward, they probably knew he's probably gone. So, so at that point, that's like, Hey, this Samson guy's okay. We know he can coach. Now we know he can recruit. Uh, when, when did things then, because as Eric said, Oh, here we go. We're coming back. We've had that feeling a lot over the years, especially when there's a new coach and a big shiny recruit coming in. When with Samson, did you know, uh, uh, did you, was there a moment? Was there a conversation where you're like, uh Oh, this is all going to go horribly wrong. Yeah, they were very aggressive in recruiting. Um, I, I'm a little un, uh, I don't want to say everything I want, but um, you got to you know, just would, give it. Don't say everything. Just give us something. You can call him. You can call him individual one if it makes you feel more comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'll give you one example. They would always be. Um, we used to have the Adidas Make Classic at. Uh, they would have games at Assembly Hall. And they would always be very aggressive being out in the hallway, you know, in the lobby right next to the door uh, so they could be seen. Uh, um, they couldn't watch the games because it wasn't an evaluation period time event. But they would be very aggressive in those little things. Um, you know, I, I guess, you know, wanting me to talk to parents and things like that uh, or saying, hey, this, you know, there's just a, there's a lot of aggressiveness there on, on that staff. Trying to get you, you know, to help. Uh, yeah, uh, just yes, things like that. I guess made me made me wonder. I mean, I um, just you, you know just being aggressive with you know kids at camp and stuff like that. I don't know. Right. Um, I, I don't even remember the details. I just generally was a big change from what I had been used to, and um, that was and then being aggressive with kids that you know were, were like when the whole DeAndre Thomas thing, I never thought they would recruit him. But they decided to I remember getting an argument with them like I, with the coach one and a few of them I said, Well I don't know if you really should you know but recruit this guy. Uh and they were yeah we need help. <laughs> yeah, well I remember reading about DeAndre and Jamarcus Ellis coming together and I was yeah. like, Ugh, this feels it and and I remember at the time, a lot of people on the message boards were like, guys, don't worry. Remember, Keith Smart and Dean Garrett were junior college guys also. Like, and we don't win the championship without them, and they were yeah. great representatives. But then I remember seeing DeAndre and Jamarcus and just kind of like seeing an interview with them or something and going, these guys aren't Keith Smart and Dean Garrett. Yeah, no, there was a question, DeAndre. I Marcus was kind of a quiet kid, and I couldn't tell whether he had kind of turned his life around or not. And she always assumed the best, you know. Sure. Um, but John was just the way he handles emotions on the court, and the way you would interview him, he just didn't seem like he would ever be a guy you could trust on the stretch of a game, and maybe right make the right decisions off the court. Um, we we so talked. That, yeah, that. Sorry, I was just going to say, we talked to Rabbi a little bit about that team and the 19 Fs and the failed drug tests. How much of that stuff were you privy to before the public was? Did you know how bad things were behind the scenes while it was happening? And just because of the nature of those stories, it was just way too uncomfortable to talk about them publicly? Yeah, I always remember about that is the players were going through three-game suspensions that seemed strategically... um, not overlapping, you know what I mean? Hmm, yeah, they were, uh, and we all kind of knew that there was, um, 
drug issues um, or just maybe marijuana issues or something like that that were, um, uh, you know, causing these suspensions. Uh, and then somehow they were getting them not to all occur at the same time. Yeah. And, and that was that presented a lot of tension in the press room, that's for sure. That's probably the most tension I can remember when, you, when we felt we were being lied to right. by the coaches staff. Um, so they could manage their off-the-court issues. That was probably the most tension I can remember. Well, except maybe final days of certain couple of regimes, but uh, but that was pretty bad. Um, yeah, I, you know, I just felt like they had uh, gotten desperate. I remember before, way before Eric Gordon thing kind of broke, um, and they had just lost Jeff Teague to Wake Forest from that class. Yep. You're sitting with one of the assistants at, a, at an event, and you know, they were like, I don't know, they were really pessimistic on what their class could be. I feel like they felt like things had just not worked out. And then I felt like at that point, um, they got a little bit desperate, like, we have to do what we have to do. Kind of like uh, Coach Pete and Blue Chips. Yeah. You know? there, w- there was that moment with that class, and. Um, now, to their credit, they, they uncovered a guy in Jordan Crawford, which, which was, was done the right way. They found a really good player. But then, then they dropped their standards with a couple players. And that, and they already had, well, you can have one or two bad apples on a team, but if you have three or four exchanges, the whole team. Hmm. And they got into that three or four. And some guys who maybe had some, some issues, but if they were around 12 good guys, it'd be fine. They they tipped the balance the wrong way with that team, and I do think some of the issues um, with the grades and the drugs got worse after the writing was on the wall with with Coach Sampson. So now Coach Sampson is let go, and Dan Dockich takes over, and you're like, "We found the guy. This is the guy." Did you ever think that with Dockich? Um, no, I never thought he was he had a chance for the job. No, I didn't think why, that. Why is that? Uh, because he had lost his prior job. I guess other than that, that's really the only thing I can say is that he didn't do well enough at his prior job to stay in that job. So do you hire somebody like that? Right. Um, Got it. You, okay. can, you, you can come up with a bunch of excuses for that job. But it doesn't matter. It's Indiana, one of the top that you know at that time top five jobs in the country you don't hire somebody who got fired from the last job sure what was your relationship like with Dockich before that uh was there a relationship like when he was director of basketball operations or whatever the title was he had <laughs> under samson um you know i didn't really know him very well until he got into our business <laughs> right and uh, but we have in fact i talked to him once one of the last games about our IU days because we used to run into each other a lot. Um, but um, now we, I've been on his show before right. and um, talked to him when he's at games about what's wrong with IU or what's good about this team or what that team or, but uh, no, I, I don't really have Jeff. Jeff grew up with Dockage a lot more than I have. Got it. Um, so now you're in your second coaching search in three years. Uh, after not having won for 35 years, what, how, how did that coaching search, as it related to Peaks. dot com, compare to the Samson search of just a couple years prior? 
Ooh, that was interesting because from a source standpoint, I had two sources that kind of led me to some really good early information. <laughs> and then at the end of the day, one of the other two sources, I think, fed me bad information, so I wouldn't know who the hire was. Oh, wow. Well, I wouldn't screw, wouldn't screw things, things up at the end of the day, you know? It's really a shame. Well, you, you, you know, it's really, it's really a shame sensitive. You, it's really a shame you couldn't get in there and screw that one up. That would have saved yeah. us all a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah. Somebody who, who was pretty good about who was being seriously considered and then threw me a bunch of crap at the end, so I wouldn't know it was Tom Crean. Now, now, um, Rabbi told us. Rabbi told us there this was, was this, this was, was a tough thing for us to hear. Ouch! I had not read it or heard it, but he told us there was a second candidate that was that would have been the guy probably had it not been for Tom. And I'm curious. Before I reveal that name, do do you do you have a name that you think would have been the guy that they would have turned to had it not been for Tom? Uh, I don't know. I always thought it was Brad Brownell from Clemson. Oh wow, that's another name that I had not heard. Uh, Rabbi told us it was Beeline. Um, well, I knew Beeline was you know very seriously considered, um, okay. but the, there was a huge buyout back then with him. Got it at West Virginia. Yeah, um, I think maybe it got. Of course, the buyouts go down each year. He might have been hired a year or two later when it was a little bit more manageable. Got it. But but yeah, I I actually talked to Brownell about about his interview with IU. And uh, it's funny, he told them how much they screwed things up. He, he was so proud of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that they had screwed it's, it up with Samson? Or after the fact yeah, when they uh, didn't uh, hire him? And let themselves into the situation that they were. Because um, uh, he, he actually, he's, he's an Indiana guy, grew up in Evansville. Right. And, uh, and uh, who, who has his strong ties to some of the people in the program. Uh, and uh, I think Willie wanted the job, um, but was also really embarrassed by what happened. Hmm. And he, he, I remember him telling me how he kind of told all the people off in his interview. Wow. Um, uh, back then. Well, I, 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 I hope it made him feel good. It sure as hell didn't help him get at the job. Uh, it probably helped him. I think that, you know, I don't know if he was number two, but I just know he was right there till the end. And I know he had come in and interviewed and everything. I think he hadn't quite done enough. Right, uh, Beeline had done a little bit more, so maybe there was a little bit more of a chance there. But I just—that's when I'm pretty confident was uh, was down down to the till the end. What was the deciding factor? Do you think? How do you think? What, what was the conversation, with the board of trustees and athletic department that that was like Crean's the guy? Uh, well, I mean, he was a he was a Midwest guy who had. Um, Taking the team to the Final Four, um, it wasn't, and, and it wasn't what, a really what, a big surprise. Was there the discussion though that, but yeah, he got to the Final Four because of Dwayne Wade? Because that's what that's what we all talk about now. Like, yeah. we, we could have got to the Final Four with Dwayne Wade. Was that was that a concern then, or did they just ignore that? I guess they just ignored that. I mean, um, Final Four is Final Four. I guess I don't know in some people's minds. Uh, he had done some, you know, had had also had a pretty good team. Um, the year before, Marquette, because that was a team with um, Travis Diener. Was that was he on that team? Yeah, it was a team that uh, had a couple guys that played in the NBA. Uh, say West Matthews Jr. Right. and um, uh, the, the kid from R Richmond, Indiana, um, Dominic James. Dominic and, James. Yeah, and there was um, McNeil, maybe. 
Um, oh yeah, I remember him. They had, a really, they had a really good team, and they also had Steve Novak back then, or or just because when we're so he had some really good players. I, I, we're recruiting. looking at his record there, and you can just see it's like uneven, and and really foreshadowing what was to come at Indiana. A couple of good teams, some mediocre teams, and just like not, no consistency in an overall winning percentage that's like mediocre. My perception also something that helped him though was the Izzo roots. The fact that he trained under Izzo was his lead assistant. Izzo was a huge supporter of, was his protege. I always felt like people, Tom Izzo gave Tom Crean a little bit of his magic, and that helped Tom's perception in the in the overall marketplace. Did you do you think that has any merit? Yeah, I think that's a lot of it. I mean, um, I was about if I, if I'd kept talking, that's what I'm going to say because I just think that. Um, that that's what happens with coaching hires. They you know you, they like to you like to get guys from a tree where that's been successful or a system that, that seems to be working. And um, Tom Crean was considered you know kind of a very Tom Izzo like and how he you know approached all re- rebounding and the drills and and how they play and and it, you know Izzo has been very consistently doing well. So that that probably helped him quite a bit. Does Izzo not schedule practices? He just texts his team when he feels like practicing. Is that something <laughs> Kareem got from him? <laughs> that that is something that I. Oh my god, um, I don't think he started that uh, right away. I think that came over over time. I think he thought it kept him on their toes. Yeah, which mm-hmm. uh, was ridiculous to think. But um, yeah, if he would ask me what I have to do better the next job, I'd say. Um, that would be the first thing on the list. People like schedules. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Consistent schedules. So uh, before we get into Tom a little bit, I do want to talk about a phenomenon that, that seemed to have started during that coaching search on Peaks, which was the insane let's follow the tail numbers of airplanes and track them in and out of Bloomington to lead us to clues about who's coming in for the coaching search and not. Do, do you remember when that all started? Yeah. Um, I think it started with the Samson hire. Oh, did it? Okay. In fact, I, there was a, there was a flight from Oklahoma to uh, Bloomington that day that he was hired, uh, that, um, tipped people off. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it had been popular with some other hires, but uh, we were gotten to the point where we were trying to figure out which one were the foundation planes, that, IE foundation planes that they would use. Um, uh, yeah, it's a lot of... <laughs> I don't think they do... They get, they're much more sophisticated now, the ADs on this stuff. Um, but, um, yeah, there was a... If you remember this, I, I there was a flight from Las Vegas to Indiana. Lon Kruger. To Bloomington. Lon Kruger. Lon Kruger. Yeah. Which also coincided when I had this guy um, who was Lon Kruger's best man, uh, a media guy in Chicago, Kaplan's his last name, um, who called me to say he's pretty sure it's going to be Lon who's going to get the job. And and um, and then I, and so I put on the board this guy saying this. And I don't know if it's true or not. I just seem saying this, this guy does does have good connections with Coach Kruger, and he thinks it's going to be him. And um, 
And when that, and then after I said that, I think the the plane from Vegas showed up on FlightAware, and, and this led to this complete board meltdown. Which the fans did not like that option. Which I I didn't think he was that bad a coach. He wasn't. He just wasn't exciting. But I will say that to me, as a fan watching that, and I thought the same thing. I'm like, well, he's a solid coach. But I think the the fan reaction to that is what helped Tom Crean's reaction. Because people were so upset about Lon Kruger. When Tom got oh, the job, yeah. it was yeah. like, oh, he's exactly. better than yeah. Lon. He's better than Lon. Yeah, that's that, that's exactly what happened. Exactly. What, 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 people what was... that were ready for a for a solution that might have gotten more criticism than you know, yeah. if it hadn't, this guy hadn't been mentioned before him. What was your personal take on Crean when you sat there and being like, I think I think this guy is the guy to get us back to the promised land, or were you more a, a wait and see, or were you very skeptical? Hmm. Um, at first, I really I thought he had, had a real good chance, but uh, I didn't really know him that well. I remember seeing him at the Great Alaska Shootout after his team beat Indiana, and that's when he had Dwayne Wade. I don't know if you remember this game, if you go back that far, but uh, he beat Indiana out in Alaska. And I remember after the, the press conference, he was great. I, I remember telling um, late Terry Hutchins, like, this guy would be great if he was a coach at Indiana, <laughs> at least in terms of um, post-game quotes and everything, which is, you know, I, I jinxed myself. Um, yeah. He <laughs> actually became the coach in Indiana <laughs> yeah. um, uh, a number of years later. And, and, but, then, uh, and then you realized he just does the same press conference every single game. So all those quotes that you thought yeah. were great <laughs> when you heard him yeah. for the 42nd time about how many deflections they had and he's got to look at the tape and we're a really young team. Just this stump speech. Yeah, that's all it was. <laughs> well, one thing I always remembered was when I would go to um, these uh, AU or shoe circuit type events, the last two guys in the gym were often guys like Tom Crean or Bill Self. Um, there was a there was a handful of co- head coaches that would hang around to the bitter end, and, and, and so I always felt like Tom was a relentless worker, and that never changed. No, that opinion. I mean, he he worked as hard as anybody, and that's why he does have success from time to time with his teams because he he does work to find that. Uh, you know, uncover uh, OG Ananobi or Victor Aladipo or Dwayne Wade, but um, he doesn't always think straight. I guess I don't know what else to say. Um, yeah. He's a micromanager, and that sometimes leads you to to not see the forest through the trees. Um, but we do have a good relationship, even though we had bumps in the road. When um, when was the first time you realized? Oh, he's a crazy person. <laughs> I mean, he's a giant weirdo. Um, some of the stuff you would write, you would, oh, remember I, I started hearing, like, I, I, I remember commenting on, on Twitter that Austin Etherington had made an awful pass, you know, during a play. And all of a sudden I heard from the AD that I shouldn't be saying things like that. And I knew that came from him or, you know, or somebody in his family. So let's just say that. Um, <laughs> and, and I, I couldn't believe that I would that a, that a social media post saying an awful pass would would be worth the time, and then also um, that he would have to personally approve every big head behind the the basket. I heard that. Oh my gosh, uh, that was like 
micromanaging to the extreme. And so when you, and it coming, coming from the business world where I, you know, I have an unusual uh, path to where I am now, there's certain things you can't do and you can't spend time on and still be good at the overall job. Um, if you're worrying about big heads buying a basket or what some web, web says on Twitter. But I, I want to just pause here for a second because the big head thing is hysterical to me because the it, big head thing was not a thing ever at Indiana University until Tom Crean. He brought it. Yeah. And, and just in case anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, this is our fans on the bleachers underneath the basket would have pictures of giant heads of various celebrities, everybody from Bob Knight to John Mellencamp to Oprah, Oprah to name it. And what, what you just told us is that not only was it his idea to bring that, but he is also personally signing off on the content of each big head. Lisa Simpson, no. Bart Simpson, yes, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that was that was like... Again, that was a time management thing, um, wasted efforts. Um, and I will say this, and I don't want to get ahead of myself on Archie, but it, yeah. he is the exact opposite on things like that. That's good. That is good to hear. I, I remember I had a boss, and I've always tried to remember this. He told me once that it work. You've got to abide by the 80-20 rule, which is 80% of what's going on at any time really doesn't matter but it can occupy your time if you get sucked into it. You've got to be able to focus in on the 20% of the stuff that really matters and spend 80% of your time on that stuff. Like, that's the stuff you have to focus on. And it seems yeah. like everybody we've talked to, including Rabbi and now you, Tom was consumed with focusing on the stuff that just didn't matter. Yeah, I spent too much time on yeah certain things and uh, worried about little things. Um He's just not as relaxed a person as he should be, too. Um, um, but then again, that he does have an edge about him that keeps him up at night, <laughs> working his ass off. Yeah. Well, no one's question is work ethic for sure. So, Let's well, get. Can we get to Cody? Yeah, I was going to say, like we we look, and we were even talking about these incredible recruits he found: Dwayne Wade, Victor Oladipo, OG. But here we've got Cody. Who who is that was his version of Eric Gordon? That was his version of Romeo Langford. You know that was the Tom Crean like breakthrough in state recruit that's going to get us back going in the right direction. What was that? Was that something when you saw that team come together when Cody got there and things really started to take off in the right direction? What was the feeling like in the program, in the fan base, in the forum? I was not a member yet. Eric, you were there. Was that? Was that? Had you felt that good about the team since when? Oh, since uh, maybe the Maui Invitational of 2002. I, I, the last time the team really pulled it together was um, right, you know, I thought I thought they would be good again after that Final Four team. But it had been so long, and, and so that's, that's a good, I don't know, say eight, nine years. Um, yeah. Or maybe eight, seven, eight years. So it had been a really long time. Um, I guess, uh, you know, there have been times maybe in that one Eric Gordon team, but it just uh, maybe when they were uh, early on that one year before things fell apart. But Yeah, uh, but even that Gordon year. It didn't sustain. It well, was... and there, it was all – the Gordon year, if I'm not mistaken, when he played his freshman year, which was Samson's second year, it was the day after Hoosier hysteria of Gordon's freshman year where all the news really broke about the Samson story. 
and what and the, the phone calls he made at Indiana. So even when we were good and like ranked in the top ten, I think, and winning the Big Ten, I think we were twelve and two or something like that in the Big Ten. It was all under this cloud of what the hell is going to happen with Samson. It never yeah, felt great. But yeah. I, I want to ask you about because Ward talked about the Cody thing. I was a member. The Cody recruitment was the first time I ever went to a chat the chat room. And there was a chat the night before Cody's decision that was insane. I mean, I remember I was sitting on the laying on the floor of my two kids' bedroom, like trying to put them to bed on the <laughs> West Coast, but also trying to follow this chat. Uh, it was just being bombarded with people freaking out about Cody's decision. I can I, positive, he, negative, both. Just worried. Everybody yeah, yeah. was worried. Is Butler a real play with Brad Stevens still mm-hmm. there? North Carolina has the legacy with his brother. Mike, I can only imagine what the website was doing in those days. Was it as insane as as my perception of it was? Yeah, it was. It was really good. <laughs> it was great, yeah. good times. Even though Cody was was bottled things up as well as anybody ever has on what was going on. You know, there wasn't any little tidbits here and there like there is usually. But uh, it was it was fun times, and and because he was kind of the last piece, they had already gotten, I think, a couple of the. 12 commitments in the class after him. Right. And so there was a lot of optimism. Um, of course, not everybody turned out to be as good. But No, yeah, um, thank God we got Peter Jerkin to commit. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Mike, um, Mike, can we, can we agree Peter Jerkin is the funniest name to ever play <laughs> at Indiana University? You got it yeah, better? Yeah, uh, there's no, nobody uh, even close to that. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, Uwe Blob is a great name. <laughs> yeah. Uwe is like the first player I remember. It's a great name. It's a great name, but at just pure Peter South Jerkin, Mo- I know. Peter Jerkin. I know, it's true. <laughs> so Cody comes in. It was an insane time period for you, I'm sure. The site is well-established now. You're in success. We're we're looking like we're going to have a Final Four team at the least with with Cody's sophomore year. And do your numbers go up, Mike? When all this success is happening, do you do you see just more subscriptions, more activity? Yeah, we did. We, we did really well in 2012-13. Team really well. Um, that was um, probably the best year we've had in terms of a team bringing up. Well, maybe maybe that 2002 Final Four team, but. Uh, uh, Maybe in terms of pure numbers, in terms of pure percentage gain, it was that Final Four team. But in pure numbers, it was that um, team that got to number one in the rankings and had those big games. So I'm going to ask you somewhat of a delicate question here. Uh, you talked about uh, Sampson and his team and his staff being, quote-unquote, aggressive with recruiting. How, quote-unquote, aggressive was Tom Crean with recruiting? You know, I would say he's halfway in between where things have been, where those guys were. I mean, he did, he did go out and and bring in uh, staff members direct from kind of club basketball, which was uh, is more pre- prevalent now. Um, like Kenny, you know, like bringing Kenny, Kenny, and uh, 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 Drew. Um, uh, I forget his last. Um, and uh, it just um, it was a little bit different um, than um, than the, the normal hire process, but you know it did pay off with um, recruiting. But that that's aggressive. But yet he wasn't, uh, you know, 
don't you go talk to the parents? You know, why don't you, you know, why don't you, you know, um, he wasn't as quite as Samson like in a lot of things. That's for sure. Uh, I think think he, go ahead. Definitely more above, more above board. When we got players like Noah Vonley, who seemed to come out of nowhere and Thomas Bryant from different parts of the country, not, I would say, I wouldn't say either of those guys are typical Indiana recruits. Did anybody, including yourself, raise an eyebrow? Like, what's going on here? Oh, man. Oh, that's a tough question. Um, yeah, I mean, there was, there's always, you know, you know, do you have help with, you know, the shoe companies that sponsor you and all that kind of questions? But um, I, I don't. I, I don't know. I, I think that they did build a really good relationship with Thomas. There was a connection that Tom had with Thomas that I, I haven't seen as with with um, a coach and a player very often. Um, that really helped them at the end of the day. Um, yeah, and that that relationship seems to continue. I mean, you watch, follow them yeah. on social media, and hear Thomas whenever he has a chance to talk about him. They clearly had a fatherly son relationship that that you cannot. It doesn't matter how much money is involved. Just the image of Thomas that. having his head on on Crean's shoulder, so upset after they they lost. It was yeah. yeah, clearly something very human and real there. Yeah, every once in a while he would connect with somebody like that. I, I was always surprised how they were able to get Noah Vonley from out east. There was no no connections of note or anything, um, but there was a connection there that got him in early. Uh, and uh, Thomas Bryant, at first, when they first started recruiting him, I really thought uh, I told people that's that's a long shot situation. But you know, you know, every once in a while, a long shot does pay off, and that was the case there. So, getting into the Cody, Cody, Vic, Will, Jordy, Christian, like just what a wonderful, wonderful season. For the most part, it was. We all know how it ended with Syracuse. I. I go back and forth a little bit about, like, well, look, all these great coaches who consistently have great teams often don't win the national championship. And they run into a matchup or some bad luck, um, and it gets derailed, and then they pick themselves up and start again the next year. Why why did that Syracuse game seem to be so much more of a, a turning point in the Crean era, because he won a Big Ten championship after that. He had other uh, high NBA draft picks after that. I, and am I inaccurate in thinking that's really when the ship started to turn permanently against him and his time at IU? Why, why was that loss so pivotal? Well, they never really had the complete roster um, without a significant weakness after that. Um, they did win They did win one Big Ten title, Um but um, yeah, uh, that team, you know, was was really lucky in that uh, Oladipo and, and um, Will Will Sheehy ended up being a lot better than anybody thought. Added to Cody and um, and you know you know in a future NBA point guard in, in Yogi Ferrell. Just happened everything kind of fit well together. Um, but there there was lots of momentum there. I think what happened was they also jumped in way too early with the 2012 class that was talented. Um, Tom got obsessed with um, commitments that were done, made as early as before a kid's freshman year or during a freshman year in high school, and he made mistakes. Um, with that 2012 class, if he had been more patient, he would have realized that guys like Gary Harrison, Glenn Robinson Jr., 
uh, or Glenavis and the third, and you know, others were actually the the class along with Yogi, not 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 Ron Patterson and um, Jeremy Hollowell. Jeremy Hollowell was Peter Jerkin yeah, in that Maria. class. If you just yes. been more patient, uh, the and so when you when you they made yeah you had some dead roster spots on there, and then they started reacting. Um, they had no big man, so they went out and, and made two desperation. Um, Jeremy, Jeremiah, Jeremiah April, and Tim Prillard, you know, desperation moves where like nobody in basketball circles were, were behind that. And everybody, 99% of the coaches you would have talked to thought that was crazy. Um, and uh, so they were always scrambling to go from one thing to another. You know, scrambling to find a shooter, and if they did find it, they would they'd be scrambling to find a big man, um, and they never quite pull, pulled it all together uh, again. Was there a moment where you thought, okay, the, he's going to go? Like, was there a moment where you thought this is just not going to work out now? Uh, with with Tom, um, there was something that two years before he was let go that I thought it might happen. Um, But that was more feeling maybe he wasn't really comfortable with things in Indiana or the fishbowl and everything and that it might be a mutual parting of the ways. Um, But he decided to stick. Well, I don't know if he decided to stick with them, just assuming that's what happened. But um, uh, yeah, during the season, um, I just, you know, it does... He hadn't been that far removed from a Big Ten title, so it was a little bit surprising right. that, that that it happened. But nobody seemed to get along with him in the athletic department. That's always something, something that accelerates a departure beyond. I mean, the same thing happened with Jerry DiNardo. No, he only needed everybody, and so he only lasted what, three years. And so I think Tom maybe have lasted one more year if he hadn't alienated everybody. Not everybody, but most people um, that worked with and, and and how did he alienate them? He just an abrasive personality, arrogance. What was it? Um, sometimes, yeah, he would show some arrogance about how things were going, and that and that uneven scheduling drove everybody insane. Um, or you know, just you know, not having practice until he decides when the practice is going to be. He made a lot of people work long hours, or kind of expected the the long hours beyond what. Normal long hours are can be, um, so I, I think some of that just he has a little bit. Um, I don't know interaction with people just just not quite as comfortable with other people as some you know coaches can be, and I, I don't know. It's just um, it's hard to describe until you spend some time around him. He's it's actually not a bad person. Just um, uh, he's just a different, I guess. So now you're on to your third coaching search in 12 years, I think it is. It's become all too common. And obviously, again, we're tracking plane tail numbers. We're, we're having Billy horse Donovan. Farms. Horse farms. <laughs> Billy Donovan's looking at a horse farm in Bloomington. Uh, what? What was that coaching search like as it related to the other two? I mean, now, at this point, you're a pro at it. You have some protocol for how to deal with this. How tapped into this one were you, and how comfortable did you feel with um, your sources? At the end of the day, I actually wish I had been more common 
sensor-oriented with that one. The day Archie was hired, we were going to put a new hotboard up with Archie at the top of it. I think he was only third. I mean, it's not that bad, but I remember thinking, because it just made the most sense. Um, and I, I told people actually before this time of the fire that I thought Archie made the most sense of coaches out there. And it's not really, that's not really, you know, pump of my own horn. I think that was just a logical Midwest guy doing well. Um, and 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 who's would be a definite upgrade from where he's at uh, would take you know didn't need, didn't need six million dollars a year or whatever, but uh, that one I um, we just kind of approached logic. I think we the experience um, that uh, helped us know that the Billy Donovan thing was was just more talk than reality. Um, I'm curious. I mean, was there ever any communication? between Indiana University and Billy Donovan? There may have been at the trustee level, but I don't think there... I honestly don't think there was much. People might say that. I, I disagree with it, but I... Um, so I don't think there was. Had Archie said no, or the deal not been able to have been worked cool. out, who do you think would be the coach of Indiana? Ooh, that's a good question, because... Um, I'd have to go back and look at my hotboard to be honest. <laughs> I'm trying to think of uh, who else. I don't think there's anybody else that made a lot of sense. Um, uh, I actually talked to Tom Izzo oh. this past summer about Dane Fife. He thought that would have been a great hire. Somebody like that might actually come through at the end of the day. Right. But with no proven track record. I think, you know, when when we talked with, uh, wait, it was Rabbi and Snow. It was like, and, and just in our own discussions, the two guys he's always going to be compared to are Holtman and Chris Mack. Yeah, I, I think what happened was we knew Holtman didn't want the job. Um, I think. Um, too much, too much belief. pressure. Yeah. I honestly would, I would have said Holtman if, if I didn't know that. He didn't, you know, that he would have probably not taken the job. Chris Mack, there was some recruiting things between Indiana and, and Xavier that I think um, were an issue. Um, was, was that Paul Scruggs related? I'll just say this that I don't know if I want to say this, okay. but because I don't really know if, what's true or not. I just think that um, Tom Crean didn't have, you know, or his staff had some issues that may have, in fact, Fred Glass outlook there, but I, I don't think that um, I don't know anything um, sure. there. But I, I would say that I think he was he was contacted Chris Magwater, so maybe that's another name too. But there was a lot of things going on there that might have worked against him. Um, well, uh, let me even... ask you this, because Eric and I we have this discussion, and we'll we'll get now then into Archie after this question. If Indiana was Indiana willing, if necessary, to pony up crazy money if they could have gotten a crazy established coach, would have Indiana spent, you think, seven, eight million dollars on Billy Donovan or Mark or, Few or Tony Bennett yeah, or think, Greg Marshall? Yes. Would like, Indiana have been willing to spend that money to get that coach? Oh, maybe not that much. Um, at the end of the day, unless they had a white knight with a lot of money willing to you know, T Boone Pickens kind of sit there. Right. Or, or that guy's name is. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think so. Uh, maybe Brad Stevens, uh, they could have got that money for, but um, everyone there has, you know, something in them that would maybe think no. I mean, 
Billy Donovan never made sense to me because he was in the middle of the NBA season. Uh, whenever the guy quit an NBA job to go right. back to college. The one that, that did make sense to me was Tony Bennett, that that's the one you break the bank for. It seemed like what Tony was able to do at Virginia, even prior to this year, but to go into the ACC and routinely beat North Carolina and Duke, not only at home, but on their courts and win ACC championships, to me seemed like, well, this is the third deck home run that if you're going to break the bank for, you go for. But I never got the sense that Indiana was willing to do that. Maybe like you said for Brad Stevens, I always got the sense that Indiana was willing to pay about this much money and they were going to get the coach that they wanted, that they, that they liked, really liked for that money. I don't think Tony would have taken it for five million or more. I mean, I just, I think he had some issues with the way they handled his sister. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, again, maybe not one in the fishbowl environment. That's why, you know, he always gets mentioned for jobs like this UCLA one, and is at the top of the hot board, but never gets hired. Right. Um, he, he's comfortable in certain situations, and uh, they might have been able to get him that one year, but. Uh, well, things anymore. that transpired, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're not never going to. I think there was, you know, it's a similar situation to Chris Holtman, but also added in the fact what happened with his sister being former women's coach and got fired at Indiana. So, um, you know, it was so, it was weird that there was a lot of cases like that that checked guys off, and Archie wasn't one guy. It never got checked off on a lot of things. This is something that very few people will probably care about, but I do because it's one of these like unlocked mysteries. We One of them, which, by the way, was what happened in the Kyrie Irving in-home, but we talked to Rabbi <laughs> about that, and he gave us some information there, so we're going to skip past that. But you mentioned women's basketball. What happened with – it was his name was Miller, right, that got fired yeah. before Terry Moore? What happened? What, there was some controversy there that no one will talk about. I don't know if I can then. <laughs> well, can, you, uh, can you give me geez. some uh, hint? It's just such a weird thing that a coach, a head uh, coach, gets fired. Yeah, it's and definitely something. Some. Oh, I better not. All right. How about this? How about uh, this? I'll say something, and you. I, all I know is hearsay, but all I know is hearsay. So it's a little bit, a little bit um, risky for me to talk about it, but. Um, it does make sense what would happen if after you hear the hearsay. But um, did the hearsay I, have I anything wanna... to do with inappropriate behavior towards a coed? Uh, I don't know if that's entirely tr- true. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Entirely true. All right. Let's move to Archie. Archie. All right. So we are we hire Archie. Uh, I assume because you're a college basketball uh, junkie a little bit, you cover it, you know of Archie, and of course doing the hot boards that you did in the coaching search, you've done some due diligence on him. But what was your initial take of Archie when they made the hire? And I'm very curious to jump ahead and say, has your initial take been affected at all by what you've seen for two years? Well, initially I was thinking this guy is going to be here for a long time because he's really young, but uh, which is good for the program. Um, they found somebody uh, reasonable age that um, has been successful, uh, a defensive coach, which is at the time, you know, was um, a big need. That was the one biggest weakness of Tom Crean teams and always has been, has been how well they guard. And uh, Archie's teams have proven that they can guard really well over um, his his time. And, and uh, you can say the same thing about all the coaches – who've kind of adopted that pack line defense that his brother and Tony Bennett and others 
employee. Um, so I, you know, I thought, and I think that uh, you know he had some Midwest roots, being from Western Pennsylvania, and also coaching in Dayton, and that made a lot of sense. So just um, he did did seem to be kind of a quiet personality, um, um, and I wonder if that would be okay with the spotlight job, but. Uh, you know, one thing I've learned about him since then is he's he keeps things very simple, doesn't violate that eighty twenty stuff that you guys are talking about, which which is a necessity for this kind of job. He's focused on the twenty. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah. All right, and, 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 now- and that twenty really in his job, it's less about being rah rah this that and the other. That twenty percent is like. How am I getting the players to execute my vision on the court? And then how am I getting those players on the court to do what I want? Right, yeah. So you've now seen him for two years. What have you seen that continues to make you feel good that he's going to be here for a long time? And what do you see that makes you go, I wasn't expecting this? In a bad way. Um, uh I think that the defense has definitely improved, um, and he's recruited the state of Indiana really well. Even with you know that recent Keon Brooks to Kentucky thing, I still think you're, you're going to get one of those. Obviously, every once in a while, but he's gotten the bulk of his targets in the state, and uh, that's, that's that'll pay off when, especially when talent upcycles. Uh, he's you know like I said, he's handled the media pretty well. He's handled uh, things. Um, by, by, by keeping things simple, you know, you, you could probably nitpick that he didn't um, bring in a, a shooter um, because shooting was such a clear weakness for this team. Uh, but I, on the other hand, I can't think of a, a player or, or, or somebody that comes to mind that they passed on that um, would, would have been uh, an easy get for them that would have solved that issue. Well, maybe not an easy get, but Moretti, the point guard for Texas Tech, that he didn't yeah. decided not to offer was clearly a miss. Yeah. Um, he did not play well when he played pickup, from what I understand, with the team. Uh, and he did not have a big freshman year, but no. a sophomore year, obviously. Uh, so he's a, he's a guy, I mean, developed. And that's why mid majors beat beat high majors. They they find somebody that gets a lot better in a couple of years, and sometimes you just a good coach has got to be able to see a little bit of that. Do you, have, do you have any concern about Archie's player development or his assistant coaches and their ability to get the most out of their players now that they've had two years with some of these players? Um, you know, I do think you'd like to see, you know. Guys, well, I guess he's done a good job with Al Durham. Got got a lot better in the second year. Um, two years is still a little bit too short. Um, um, you know how much credit does he deserve with Juwan? I'm not sure. But there's, um, I don't. You know, Justin Smith. I just did a profile on him. I think he's got the talent, but he's not quite been developed. Uh, and, you know, but he's got two more years to do it. So the book is still out. Um, he does have some more to prove in that area, in my opinion. Maybe that's the, right. that's the best I can tell you right now. Well, what what's the word on the street? Because, you know, I think we all knew that uh, Coach Green had lost the AAU coaches, the parents, the high school coaches, especially within the state. What are you hearing two years into Archie's tenure? Are the 
the backbone of Indiana basketball, the parents and the coaches in the state, are they still are they still upbeat about it? They still have a generally good opinion of the guy and and where the program's going. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, the, the way the you know they did come on a little bit in, in the NIT, but um, I think that they they liked the effort from the first year. The second year, um, you know, you, for the most part, I think people are going to give him another year or two to really make a any long-term evaluation. But I think that the fact that he's recruited Indiana pretty hard goes a long way with um, the local programs and the coaches in the state. That, that means more than anything, even more than what goes on on, on the court. Um, so, uh, you know, I that's that's all I can say with that. No, that's great. Uh, before we get to the current state of recruiting, because I want you to weigh in a little bit on the individuals that, that they're targeting that you guys have written so so much about, I do just want to kind of ask, what the hell happened with the team this last year? I mean, I know there's the injuries, and that derailed them a lot, and there wasn't a shooter, but to lose 12 out of 13 in the Big Ten is staggering. I mean, it's just staggering. And outside of Tom Crean's first three-year teams, which just did not have the talent, it's hard to say that Indiana didn't have the talent to not lose 12 of 13. If if you could put your finger on any one major thing, what, what would you say happened this year? Oh, I think they have some soft players that, um, that uh, didn't always react well um, seemed to make a bad situation worse. You saw it within games. That's why you saw droughts almost every game of five minutes or more without scoring. Maybe too many players that secretly like to feel sorry for themselves. <laughs> I don't know what right. it is. Guys who just, uh, I don't know. And I, I, and I guess um, I would like to have seen more emotional leadership from the seniors, I guess. Um, I think Juwan is a great locker room guy, maybe practice guy, but on the court sometimes he just didn't grab his guys and really, you know, stop a, a run of, of, you know, a five-minute drought that he should have really maybe been more verbal at halfway through it or something. I don't know. Uh, that's that's just a, um, my, my, father, my own observation. I can already hear my father calling me after he listens to this interview to tell me, <laughs> I told you so, I told you so, because he had been saying all year, because I love Juwan Morgan as a player. I've professed my love for him. Eric's going to name his next child after Juwan. I loved his game. I just thought his game was so skilled, especially in the post. And and my dad kept saying, yes, but he needs to be the leader of the team. And he is not the leader of the team on the court. He just never grabs a guy by the by the jersey and tells him where they need to be or pick it up. And, and I argued that I'm not sure if that was 100% necessary, but... It clearly, I mean, it clearly was lacking on this team. Yeah, it was. I mean, you got to remember how short this team was. Really, it's a really short team. It might be the shortest one they've ever covered outside of Tom Crean's first year or two. I mean, Juwan is really six seven and a half, and he's playing near post most of the time. Right. And then Justin Smith is six six, and and plays really short because he doesn't know how to finish. And Duran, who's got a good base, is a very small, truthfully, six foot nine. I mean, he he does not play above the rim in any way. With, with the yeah. mo- with the mobility of a ninety year old man. <laughs> yeah, he's got my vertical jump. Um, <laughs> unfortunately for him, 
All right, so now let's get into recruiting. Yeah, and and I mean, since you were talking about size here in the last couple of days, suddenly I started feeling a lot better about our front court because not only do we have Duran coming back hopefully healthy, we know we have the other Davis coming in and Trace, but now we got Big Joey Brunk coming in from Butler, and he is a big boy. What what do you think about our front court for next year? For the five spot, it's golden. Um, I am not absolutely convinced yet they found a guy who meshes well with another pure five. You know what I mean? Oh, you don't, you're that, not sure Trace can play the four alongside of Joey or I think Durant? he needs to shoot the ball a little bit better, and he started – I think he can. I, I, I just think that's, that's the point of what I'm looking for from this team, but I think they have – all the options they need in terms of uh, the one pure post player. I mean, the game has changed so much. You, that four guy needs to be really versatile. Um, uh, you know, and so I, I do think that they have no, they're much better prepared for foul trouble for any player than they ever have been in the last few years. Um, but I, I do like their options up front. Um, I just I just wonder if there's going to be a, a guy who can be a, an ideal kind of four for him. Uh, talk to us a little bit about Joey Brunk. I mean, I think most of us remember when his recruitment was going on. Did did Tom Crean not recruit Joey Brunk? What was the story there? <laughs> it's funny. I remember watching Joey Brunk one time sitting next to Tim Buckley, and he's, he turns to me and said, man, there's not very many Cody Zellers in the world, are there? <laughs> oh, wow. And um, and it was just like, yeah, I think it was him realizing they need because Joey was you know is not a Cody Seller, right? But he's gotten a lot better since then, and big men get better as they get older, more so than other other positions. And uh, watching him, especially in the Indiana game, he moves so much better. That's what today. I, I was totally. I was Warden. I were just talking about this when I went back and looked at a bunch of video. I'm shocked with how well he moves. The alley oop. He, he did an alley oop dunk in the lane. He finished with dunks, and he just runs up and down the court very well. I was really surprised and, with that. Well, and he has got great hair. <laughs> he does. Yeah, have great hair. <laughs> he is. Uh, he has slimmed down since high school, or at least toned down. And uh, that's helped him quite a bit in college. He just looks uh, so much better physically. I always remember him shooting the ball fairly well in high school. So I was surprised he only takes uh, less than five three-pointers a year. Um, but he's he's a versatile player. He can put the ball on the floor. Um, I asked, you know, you know, the fact that he lost his starting job was a surprise, given how well he played in the few games that I s- saw from him. But he played a pretty much the same amount of minutes all year. Um, so I don't think that's that big a deal. And what uh, – do you think there's a chance that Joey Brunk beats out Deron Davis for the starting five spot? Yeah, and that's similar numbers on a per-minute basis. I think Jeff put that in, a, in one of his stories. Yep. Deron, um, I do think Deron has more left that he should be able to show with another year of um, – you know, getting his knees better or getting his uh, whole legs better, I should say, and uh, maybe losing 10 pounds or so. Well, he you know, showed uh, it the first half of last year, not this last year, but the year yeah. before. I mean, we saw a toned down Duran. We saw a guy who against Duke dominated in the post. Notre Dame had a great um, game. Like he, And he was moving a little bit better. Obviously, he was in the best shape of his life. I think the big concern, obviously, right, is this is a large guy with not incredible mobility to begin with who now has suffered a 
major leg injury, what does that do just permanently to his mobility? Yeah. Well, Duran was not a good defensive player before his injuries. Right. Um, and that's where if Joey is better defensively and with Archie being so much prioritizing defense, I think that that's where I could see Joey starting over Duran if, um, if, if, if defense is a big drop-off when Duran's out there. Okay, so moving on from the front court to the back court, we missed out on Anthony Harris. It was kind of painful, but do we actually have a chance with Lester Quinones? I think Indiana, in this case, can lay out a clear, you know, hey, we really need a shooter here, a shooter. Um, and this would be a plug-and-play situation for you here. Um, like, would he be starting at the two, yes. Lester? Uh, it's probably too far to go. I yeah. Cause you green. Got, you got Dur- Green and Durham, pretty experienced guys um, over him. I would say it would be unlikely that he would start, but if he can shoot, he would guy who would play a lot. Well, now let's uh, go to the longest shot of them all and the one that's probably most near and dear to the hearts of Indiana fans, which is Trendon Watford. Yeah. Um, if he decides to come up to Indiana, that's a really good sign for IU, but it does – Sound like they're trying to fight from behind against Memphis and LSU and uh, Alabama. Alabama did have to restart things, but the whole family is big Alabama football fans, and they're so close to home that uh, you know, and, and their guy they hired has done really well. So, in his prior job, so uh, it's it's going to be difficult one there. Um, and we'd always heard that Indiana was really not a strong possibility. Um, but that changed with the LSU and Alabama, uh, you know, situations that developed this spring. So it's, it's possible, but I wouldn't get your hopes up until he actually comes to Bloomington at least. So please, uh, it's time now for a segment on our show that we're just starting on this podcast. <laughs> it's called Pig's Predictions. If you had to bet who all your money, everything you saved from all the hard work you've done on the table, and bet that Archie was the guy. And by the guy, I mean the guy, he's Eric and I's age, that we're going to grow old with. The guy who's going to be here for a long, <laughs> long time. And and to do that, obviously, that means he's got to get us back to the Final Four. He's got to win his Big Ten championships. There it is. There's the, the, the pig's pot of gold. Do you bet it on Archie being the guy who gets us back to the promised land? Oh, I bet he'll get Indiana to the Final Four. I don't know if he'll win a title, but I think... If he continues to recruit Indiana, he'll have a Final Four team. And, uh, you know, he's got to get better with his offense. Um, can he? How can he do that? How can he get better at his offense? Well, you can always be pretty good offensively if you just recruit the heck heck out of, <laughs> yeah. out of or if you just have really good talent, you can still be pretty good. Um, defense is probably the hardest thing to coach, and therefore he's kind of, Got the hard part done, but he has to have. Um, they have to be better offensively um, than they have been, and, and then maybe he has been at Dayton, and that that's the last step. But I do think could he bring in an assistant? With him. Does he have an assistant, or could he bring one in that's a real offensive guru and say, "Hey, help me figure out how to get more points." Uh, yeah, I I I guess, but I, I honestly I can't remember. Anybody, or maybe a text winner or something like that. Right. I, I I can't think of that because you, if you are somebody who doesn't really help you with recruiting, you really make things difficult for you 
Um, it's uh, funny when so. we, when we talked to Jeff Van Gundy, he said that the college game. He said it's very difficult to watch a college game and not see a team that is really working hard. He's like the vast majority of teams are working very hard and trying to play hard on defense. He said it's much more difficult to find a team in the college game that is really good offensively. And he said the key to the upper echelon teams is that, of course, they defend well. That's kind of like what everybody in college ball does. But what separates the great teams are they really run a good offense and his point to Archie was he's got to recruit guys who can play offense, great shooters, good passers, good ball handlers, and teach them defense. Because if you get a real athletic guy, you can teach them defense. It's much harder to take a real athletic guy that doesn't know how to shoot and teach him how to shoot. That's, that's a good point. I think we've run through that with, with um, this shooting debate because everybody wants a shooter, but is he athletic enough to play Archie Miller-level defense? Well, on that, let's talk a little bit about Anthony Leal real quick. I'm just curious. What's your take on Leal? He seems to be the most polarizing recruit that I can remember in a long time. What's your take on him? I would wait till you see a good look at him this offseason because I think that the defensive issue is maybe not – it's not clear-cut that he can guard, but he's not a bad athlete. he does need a little time to get off his jumper. People have never mentioned that. But um, being a good shooter is not being able to just hit the open shots, being able to hit the open shot. I mean, hit the shot with, with that much room or with a hand in your face. And, and uh, I'm not sure he is that guy or has a quick release. And therefore, I, I would say wait, but watch him really closely. And, and they probably will since he's got another guy on his team that's a similar type of uh, prospect. Who's that? Um Trey Galloway. Trey Galloway, got it. Is it fair to say, and again, I have not seen, I've seen a couple highlights of Leal, but it, everything I seem to have read is like, he's a good shooter, but he's not Ryan Klein. He's not this knockdown, he's not Jordy Hulls. Is that fair to say? Yeah, he's not, like say, uh, Gabe Kalshauer, Minnesota, or, or Wieskamp at Iowa. He's not that kind of a player. Got it. Not that kind of a shooter. Uh, and Ryan Klein was putting up some pretty impressive shooting in high school at Carmel. Right. I mean, they won state titles, and he was lighting it up. Um, but Anthony's a solid, really solid shooter. It's just, I think it's just a long release is what we're talking about. But if, uh, And that can be fixed. Kyle Hornsby fixed his. A lot of guys have fixed their release um, over over time. But that is something where, you know, again, coaching development, um, does any end have, have that? I have, you know, it's not been enough time to really see that, but that's something that has they have to find guys and shorten their release and make them much better players. One more question, just looking at the next season. It's one of uh, addition by subtraction. You had uh, two uh, of the most talented players to come through IU in a long time between Juwan and Romeo. Uh, but the, the idea that both of these guys who already kind of had one foot out the door before the season even started and were looking towards their future – you now are going to be looking at a team next year with uh, ostensibly no one and duns, nobody who's more focused on getting their draft stock up uh, rather than just putting their head down and trying to get wins. Uh, do you share the opinion of uh, Brian Snow and Eric Penkowski that this should be a better team next year? Yeah, I think so. I, I Sometimes it's hard to really say why, but um, I think it does go back to what you're saying. You had so many... Two, two players that everyone kind of took a lot of the shots. Um, 
and Romeo didn't shoot very well at all from the outside. Um, they'll be taller and they'll be better balanced. And um, if they find some, some shooting help here in late, that'll be huge. Um, you know, I just think that just the better balancing is a big deal. And guys getting older and better, um, I just uh, feel like it'll be a, a team that uh, that uh, will be tougher to guard because you just don't concentrate on one or two players all the time. So, Mike, I have to ask you before we get out of here, we've taken up way too much of your time already. Have you been in touch with any of the leading scientists in the world to make sure that, God forbid, anything ever happens to you, that your essence will be cloned and duplicated so that <laughs> pigs.com will continue in perpetuity? Because this is the thought that keeps me up at night. <laughs> Our children and grandchildren need to be able to go to Peaks. You know, I always wondered that because uh, at some point I, I won't, I'll have to move on in my life. Do I? No. Do I just take the the pigs dot com with me because I am? It's named after me. I mean, I don't know if any other person has had this dilemma in their well, life. Well, I don't know, but that, <laughs> you just saying that is the most horrifying thought I've ever. I mean, that's Mike, worse than Indiana not winning Final Fours. Is you saying you might take it with you, Mike? Mike, the Warner Brothers, Jack Warner and his brothers, they're long gone. They died a long time. Warner ago. Brothers lives on. Yeah, Pigs, Pigs needs to be an eternal thing. <laughs> yeah, but I don't want to be on a golf course at eighty years old. Somebody complaining, "You're Pigs. You got to fix this." Yeah. <laughs> I, well, you need a protege. Rabby.com. Yeah, you need a protege for sure. Maybe look for people named Thelma. I mean, whatever you coma, need to do. Coma. Coma. Uh, um, I, I, I want to ask you in all seriousness, as, as we jest here, do you have a sense, this is going to be a weird question because it's asking you to be a little self-congratulatory, and I apologize in advance, but do you have a sense for how important you have become to the Indiana University basketball program and i and i mean that the uh, calling the indiana university basketball program as a synonym for hoosier nation your site and what you have done and created and with bringing in guys like rabbi and drew davis uh and making the 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 partnerships that you have you have become the central hub for all indiana fans of all generations to connect and to share their passion in the thing that gives us all meaning in a way that is inexplicable. Do you ever take a moment to realize how important you are to that ecosystem? <laughs> not, not really. I mean, maybe in the early days, uh, I felt a little bit more like that. But uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, if you think about that, then you then you you get an ego and you and you lose um, lose your way. <laughs> Right. So no, I don't. I don't want. I don't want to be that person. Well, um, you should know that we have. We are fine having the <laughs> ego of being even partners with you on this website and on this podcast. We we feel tremendous ego boosts from that. You totally legitimized us, and we we thank you for that. <laughs> I just want to. I just want to be able to cover Final Fours and uh, bowl games and um, Sweet Sixteen games against Duke and North Carolina. That's that's really what I want to get out of my final years on the site, to be honest. I'm not saying that as a fan. I'm saying that as a journalist. I missed that um, over the last few years, and that's why I did the website. Uh, well, Mike, 
I said a similar thing to, to Rabbi, but I'm going to say it to you as well. That's what we as fans want also. We want Final Fours. We want Big Ten Championships. We want deep runs into the NCAA tournament. We want to be in on great recruits and land them. But in the absence of that, you and your site and what you have given us all is the substitute that keeps us going. Well, look, <laughs> we, we, we have a what? Maybe you're looking at actually sitting there watching an IU game is like 100 hours a year. Right. Maybe. You know, yeah. and, and how many thousands of hours a year are we on pigs.com? The rest of them. <laughs> yeah. The I rest mean, of them. It is so disproportionate how much of being an IU fan is about being on your site and interacting with other fans and reading the articles compared to actually watching the game, which is like such a small, the, the tip of the, uh, the, the Hoosier Nation iceberg. And, <laughs> and the games are the stressful part. Reading pigs yeah. is the enjoyable part. <laughs> I mean, it really is. Well, it depends on the news of the day. Yes, that's true. could be disappointing. <laughs> but, Mike, I just want to be able to say to you, thank you. I've been a member for God knows how long. And what you guys do and what you have done, it just thank you. From an Indiana fan's perspective, I just want to thank you because you give me my way of connecting to the thing that besides my family – uh, I love the most, which is Indiana basketball. And uh, that is not a trivial thing. So thank you very much. Thank you for taking the time to spend with us today. And we look forward to many more years uh, in perpetuity of pigs.com or thelma.com. Okay. Of us being powered by pigs. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I, I, I had fun. Told you a lot of things I never told anybody. So yeah, hopefully. hopefully. Goes well. Good. You got to tweet when we release this. You got to tweet that out. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks so Mike. much, Mike. All right. Take Thanks care. Bye bye. Well, I mean, Ward and I just high fived each other. As ground zero, ground that was awesome. zero of Indiana fanhood is talking to the man, the myth, the legend, Mike Pegrams. You mean the Vito Corleone of a recruiting baloney? <laughs> See, but the baloney part is almost like yeah, not legitimate. No, because recruiting stuff is baloney. Oh. Nobody freaking knows. Darius Garland. He right. just he just organizes it in a way. And they do have sources. They have great sources. And yeah. and look, they But they're the first to admit high school kids don't know what the hell they're doing until they do change. it. Yeah. Look, Rabbi, everybody was saying Trendon Watford has no chance of coming to Indiana University three months ago. Things change. Like, that's life. People, People need... get fired and suspended. Yeah, and, and the fans need to realize, like, just back off a little bit. Like, they're giving you the best information. Wait, what did you just say? I said back off of Pigs and Rabbi. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, no, those are our you... friends. They give you the... <laughs> no, they're not. Yeah, no, not, you think we're friends with them? No, I. Well, first of all, you're. I get you. I can't believe you didn't ask Rabbi or Pe, Pegram Pigs if we are friends. No, you know, I'm somebody saying, online critiqued me. For I saw it. that. I saw that. Yeah, they they Screw need to get them. get a clue. Yeah. Get a clue. What Sorry, we're doing but but here. please keep listening to the podcast. Yeah, if you're whoever that you are, you're the one. Uh, is we we they are our friends in regard to they are. Absolutely trying to get us the most accurate inside yeah. information every time. And look, they're sticking their necks out there to provide that for us. Things change. People change their mind. Right. It's not at no point are these guys ever feeding us BS just to keep us clicking. Never. They are just giving us the best information they have at the moment, and they do it better than anybody. And I think what I've known from reading their work, but talking to both Rabbi and Mike, 
how intelligent these guys are. Yeah. Like, it's just really impressive that guys this smart are are going into sports, you know? Like, it's something that's sort of uh, synonymous with meatheads, but we're getting some guys with real brains approaching the whole program, whether it's X and O's on the court, how it's going with recruiting, the, the what's in the 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 ether around the program and the coaches you're getting some guys with a, with a high IQ giving us insight high IQ and for both talking about Rabby and Peegs and Snow also it starts with yes. a passion Snow is also yeah. extremely intelligent but it starts with a passion you know Snow talked to us about he just loved when he was a kid like growing up looking at what's next who are the next players and, and that always consumed him and rabbi was pretty much the same way loved the high school recruiting yeah you know and and that look i was not into high school recruiting until you got me into peaks a few years ago i would just be like who we got we'd show yeah. up in the in the fall and i'm like okay who are these new guys and and to see that this is something i mean when did you start getting interested in high school recruits uh, certainly, like, in college, I was just like, wait, who's coming in this year? I would well, know it on the first exhibition game. Inside Indiana would cover recruiting a little bit. So I was really into that. And I was really in, when I was at IU, I was really into us getting Wrecker and Collier and reading about those guys. But there was no resource at that time. Peaks hadn't developed at that time. You know, right. that was 95, 96. There was no Peaks then. So getting that information was impossible. It was um, interesting. He had a bit of a Mark Cuban angle in terms of why he, you know, he was somewhere far away from Indiana, unable yeah. to get his fix of Indiana. So he was like, well, you know, Cuban starts uh, streaming radio online and Peg starts getting like, you know, together a, a hub of information online. No, I love that for all of them, it started with this organic thing. You know, this is not just three people who are like, this is how I'm going to make a lot of money. No, it was this is a passion for me. Mike went to IU as a swimmer and a high-end athlete, fell in love, was had fallen in love with basketball before that. With Magic, Magic Johnson, Johnson, what a great start. But then you hear him talk about Isaiah Thomas and just like being infatuated with watching him practice and how good he was at pickup games. and Well, and to see, and, and that with Magic Johnson, to see from high school to being one of the all-time greats. And Isaiah, you know, college, not that far removed from high school, to one of the all-time greats. And Magic, too, tucking his tail and running because he couldn't do the job at the Lakers. <laughs> yeah, and that's been a great arc. Oh, the mighty have fallen. But yeah, it, like once you get a taste of that early on, I can see where you're like, oh, I want to I want to chart the trajectory of great basketball players. And I love at the end, Mike saying, here's what I want for this site. I just want to be able to cover Final Fours and Sweet Sixteen. Well, and he had mentioned on the site uh, the last Duke, North Carolina game. He did. Where he's just like, was it on the site or on Twitter? I thought I saw, I'm not on maybe Twitter. both, maybe both. But but I yeah I saw it somewhere where he's like I just want IU to be in games like this again. Yeah. I just the level of competition, the intensity, the skill, the stakes. Exactly. Please, 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 Archie, get us back there. And as fans, that's all we want. And in the meantime, we'll have pigs.com to go to and give us hope that it's going to happen next year. Guys, thanks for listening. As always, uh, we'll have another one of these next week with somebody else. Please follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics. No vowels in hysterics. Email us at Hoosier Hysterics at gmail.com. I haven't checked that in a while. If you oh. if you email that, I'll check back Let's in check today. check that. I will, yeah. What if somebody's like, they're giving us money? 
well. What if Damon Bailey has finally responded and says, I want to do the podcast? I think it's mostly been Jeff Dix. And Jeff, if you've- <laughs> Shout emailed, out to Jeff. If you've emailed lately and I haven't got back to you, I'm sorry. I've been traveling a lot. I will say this to anybody still listening. We love the comments on Pigs, good or bad. Please leave comments. I love people giving us lists of people that they would want us to interview, some really good ideas. We're going to do as many of these as we can. We thank you for listening. And uh, Oh, and, and if you do want to give us money, that's fine. Yeah, sure. We'll, get a, we'll open an, a Venmo. A Venmo account. Very good. Uh, thanks, guys. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.